Well, hi everybody. Welcome to Stress Free Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Little, and uh, we're back. Um, it's good to see everybody. Uh, got a couple quick things to talk about, and then we're going to, as I said, we're going to go through uh, the questions like a wood chipper. Um, so uh, I want to talk about the uh, the truck convoy in a minute. Uh, but first, um, just before we rolled, uh, Steve Eislin in the comment section uh, said he, boy, I hope, hope we had some updates on the computer graphics stuff. And as it turns out, we do. Um, so let me, because uh, I'm going to show you something, I'm not going to take the whole hour talking about what most of you already know by heart by now, probably know better than I do. But let me uh, explain to you how I'm going to roll this thing out. Um, the, uh, some of you have seen it. Uh, we ran it uh, before we recorded the Stratosphere launch several weeks ago before I got sick. And um, so we have a finished first chapter. And I'm very happy with it. I think it looks great. I think it sounds great. Uh, now, there's one problem with this, and that is that it's the story's hook. And the hook is the part of the story that's like a little mini story that sets up the, the main um, narrative. And this hook is the guys walking through the, uh, through the forest and they encounter a werewolf and they meet this mysterious castle and you find out what this castle is. That's the end of the hook. That's where my six minutes ends. And the problem with that from a sales point of view, in terms of for memberships and getting other people to get interested in it, um, the problem with that is that there's nothing of the actual meat of what the story is in this. Um, so I've had, and I had to start at the beginning, I had no choice. So the actual, the actual story picks up on the other side of them jumping through this fiery portal into the, into this uh, Democratic Party headquarters thing. And I knew this was a problem and I thought, well, maybe I can just take some scenes from downstream, but then you gotta, you gotta get the positioning and you gotta get the environments. It's just, would take another year and then I had then the big brain kicked in took another idea um, what I'm what I'm actually going to do is I am going to um, I'm going to do a, a firewall on this and I'm and I'm going to show the animation and the, the, the finished animation and then after that I'm going to show a number of scenes downstream that get you a sense of the dialogue that gets you a sense of, of the political um, points, you know, where they find the feral Ocasio's and the Dr. Faustus on his pyramid of skulls, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. So I can do it, and I can do it quickly because I can do it just on the flat plane. It's just like a test render. Hope that's clear to everybody. Um, I will be debuting uh, for recorded transmission uh, the um, the chapter one of D is for Dungeon, and uh, and the rest of the stuff I have to get downstream I get downstream. So uh, I've got I do have something to show you guys. When I'm putting together this firewall, talking about we show the we show the first chapter, it ends, and then I say, well, what happens after this? Well. We can get some help. Here's what happens. The first thing they do is they meet uh, they meet some enemies. We get to see that that this that this headquarters of of the Democratic Party, everything in it is fossilized and old, and and 
uh, dusty and decrepit or, or corroded or mildewed or otherwise rotten or decaying. There's not a nice thing in there. And I said, plus it gives us a chance to do a little action because you need to have a little action. So that's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you something. I don't even know how long it is. It's not more than, it's not more than a minute. Maybe let me 20 30 seconds to see. It is. I don't know. We're going to find out together. So here's what we did. Um, like I said, the, the big breakthrough idea was that I can now show scenes from the main body of the show just to get the lines and to show how well the um, the facial animation works. And speaking of that, uh, where do I have it? Let me open with that. Actually, that's a good opening. Give me a second here. I, I wasn't thinking, but I can get to it quickly. <coughs> Excuse me, I hope everybody else is doing okay. Um, yeah, give me a second, it's, it's, it's worth it. So, uh, and, and there was another problem with, uh, with doing the, um, uh, the thing the way it is, and that is that all of chapter one, we have our helmets on. And uh, everything after chapter one, we don't have our helmets on. So nobody getting to watch this finished first chapter gets to see what the rest of the stuff looks like. So here's something for you. I'm getting to it now, and then I just have to download it. Take a second. So the first thing I'm going to show you here is just a uh, it's a it's a Bill and Zoe lighting test essentially. It's just designed to um, to give you an idea of what the metahumans do and look like and all the rest of it. So I just have to yeah there we go sweet. It says downloaded, but I don't see it. Hang on, gang. I know this is dead air on top of the show. It's not a good, not a good sign, but it's worth it. You'll get a kick out of this. Did they put in my downloads? Where did it go? Come on. Anyway, uh, yeah, and we'll talk about um, we will talk about the trucker things and all sorts of things like that. All right. Why did this? Come on. I'll do it the old-fashioned way. So I'm going to show you um, a, a test of uh, of the meta metahumans that I put together for me and Zoe with our helmets off. Uh, it, it looks like we're having a conversation, but it's just me acting out both roles. But it'll give you a pretty good idea. Um, and then I will show you a quick series of cuts on... Um, on just and again, this is still test footage. Quick series of cuts on uh, combat, just so people can see, you know, what happens downstream. Come on, you swine! There we go. All right. Sorry about the delay. So um, here's the first one. This is uh, basically. Uh, the way that it, it, the lighting could be better, it's, as I say, it's largely uh, test stuff, but here's um, 20 seconds. We're not actually saying anything to just give you an idea of, of what it looks like here. Oh, come on. 
Yeah, uh, somebody said uh, Bill and Zoe's Excellent Adventure. That was really, uh, really fun. Um, and, uh, and so you'll be seeing those are, uh, characters. And then I also have this for you. Um, again, this is a, a test render to show what we can do downstream if we can get, you know, if we can get some support. Here we go, ready? So we talk about, um, we talk about the, uh, that they get to meet new enemies and uh, here they come. So these are the guardians of the Democratic Party headquarters. And Zoe and I decide, well, obviously this isn't gonna turn out well for one set of us. Now these are all stock fighting animations that I slammed together, but they give you the idea. Gonna stay. Ah, he's got two swords. I actually had a scene where Zoe got back up and kicked his butt, but I didn't bring it. There it is. Um, that last one, he spears the guy. He actually runs a sword through him. I'm going to have to, like, slow-mo that down. Uh, so that is um, an indication of what is downstream. We have a finished chapter one. doesn't require any explanation. It's mixed. It's got the sound effects. It's got the music. It, it's just ready to go. But this way, I can do these kind of things. For instance, the next thing I'm going to render is I say, well, they get to the, to the castle door, and there's a sign on the door. And here's what the sign says. And I can just do the doorway arch on the checkered, you know, just on the checkered plane. And the doorway arch, a little piece of parchment there. And it says, thou must be wearing a visor in order to enter this dungeon. And that gives me a chance to go downstream, pull the things that I think are going to mostly tell the story, bring them up onto this um, stage that you just saw. And that's basically the pitch. Let's finish this thing, why don't we? Um, help us out and get to keep a lot of cool bits of dialogue. We'll have sync sound. I get to use all of my, um, all of my uh, Shakespearean insults. And that's just grand. So that's the latest on that. Um, oh, clever idea. Steve Eisland says, why not offer Easter eggs for donations, like putting names of donors on gravestones or other assets? That's actually a rather, uh, rather good idea there, young feller. Um, let me think about uh, how I can do that. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> Bart's Treasure. Wasn't this originally a two-week project? Yes, it was, but it was also originally a, a three-minute animation, uh, which means it would have been an eight-week project or four-month project. This is, this is gigantic. Um, so anyway, there's that. <coughs> Excuse me. This little tickle cough is going to take months to go away. Um, I do want to talk about the, uh, the Canadian Trucker Convoy. Um, because, uh, to put it bluntly, things are proceeding precisely as I have foreseen. Um, I don't know if you can sense it. I did an interview uh, 
earlier today with uh, Epoch Times with Josh, and um, and there's something there something in the air, something good. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it, and um, I've been doing a lot of talking about the politics being downstream of culture and in the pop culture. Oh, by the way, I got a letter from Doomcock, and I think um, I think we'll be doing that very soon. Uh, but in the pop culture, the left is not only losing; they're in. It's a rout. They're in. They're in. It's just. It's just a mob. They're running away. Not an actual letter, an email, an electronic mail. Um, it's. It's a catastrophe for them. They're. They're going to undo the woke Star Wars trilogy. They're going to write it out of existence. They're going to say it happened in an alternate universe. That Luke Skywalker is not, in fact, a, a, a bitter old murderer who, who sits alone on an island and doesn't shave. He, no, 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 that's an alternate universe, Luke. The real Luke, and they're going to bring him back. They brought him back on um, on the Book of Boba Fett. They, they uh, used um, Deepfake to, to put Luke Skywalker from, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back Skywalker. And they're going back to the source. And it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. They are in full retreat. Now, I'm not saying that it's over. In fact, I just did a speech in Ramona, and I will get that online, uh, where I was basically talking about, about how by 1942, the war was over. Japan had no chance to win after Midway. The Nazis had no chance to win after Stalingrad. The war was over in 42. Let me rephrase that. I got that exactly backwards. Sorry. The war was won in 1942, but it didn't end for another three years, and all the killing came later. So that's where we are right now. The, the culture war is, is won. We won it. And now it's going to get really bad. It's just going to get bad because as these people continue to realize that they've lost, that everything they did with the election and the pandemic and, and all, all of it, once they realize that they've lost, and they are realizing it, that they just couldn't pull it off, then they're going to start getting into that scorched earth kind of thing. But I'm telling you, there is something going on out there, and the and the trucker convoy in Canada is is the most recent and the most telling, and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I, if, if that's what they're doing in Canada... You wait to see what happens here when um, when American truckers pull this uh, drive to Washington off. Um, it's going to be really something. Um, and I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I have a... Uh, oh, there it is. I didn't get to shoot it earlier, but over there you can see uh, our Moving Back to America set. And the title of the Moving Back to America that I'm going to have to come in and do tomorrow morning. And it's called Convoy. Uh because I was thinking about this. We, we saw the George Floyd riots. We saw, we saw all of these things. You know, I, I don't remember much about the protests in the 60s, but there have been a series of left-wing protests that have been going on more or less for my entire life. But the largest, the largest, what am I trying to say? The largest rebellion that I ever lived through, the largest and longest lasting protest and demonstration 
that I was ever party to was a largely conservative uh, protest. And, and buckle up, because here's where I'm going with this. I must have some water because this is so charmingly good. Tea Party protests? <laughs> no. Those were several thousand people, maybe tens of thousands of people in one place. I'm talking about a protest that lasted for, I don't know, 10, 11 years, maybe maybe more, and, and consisted of millions and millions of people. And they're all conservatives, largely, anyway. Here we go. Ready? Here it comes. Um, in 1973, uh, OPEC and the Arab nations decided to hurt the United States economically by cutting off our oil supply. And that is what they did. Then in January of 1972, uh, Richard Nixon signed, uh, and I've got it somewhere. I'm going to get it. It's, uh, it's practically ready to shoot the thing earlier. Hang on. Richard Nixon uh, signed on January 2nd, 1974, sorry, what was known as the um, Emergency Highway Energy Conservation Act. And uh, that required a nationwide speed limit of 55 miles an hour. Now, this is a big country, and there used to be a lot more driving than there is today, but nevertheless, it's still a big country. And when the 55 mile an hour speed limit came in, anybody who had done any driving really, really felt it. I was at the University of Florida for some, for many of those years. And for about a, a, a whole semester, I was at the University of Florida, I was living in Gainesville, but we would go down to Fort Lauderdale pretty much every weekend guy who was my director of photography uh, back in those days, a guy named Rick. And Rick and I would, would go back from Gainesville to Miami every weekend for five months. Now, if you've done that drive, you know that it's on the Florida Turnpike. And the Florida Turnpike is the most boring drive on the face of the planet. It is 20 miles straight as an arrow to the horizon. It cranks left 10 degrees, absolutely flat, does another 20 miles, absolutely flat, cranks right 10 degrees and does it again. It is a horrific nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare to drive. It is, it is just horrible. There's nothing to see, nothing, nothing to see, nothing to do. You're just there. And when we were doing that drive or the drive from Miami up to Orlando for Disney World or something, 55 miles an hour was unbearable. Now, my dad bought a car that I really just loved. And he bought it in 1972. It's here somewhere. I've got it handy. I don't know. I, I gotta find it now that I mentioned it. Where is it? Here we go. So 1972, before the before the um, the oil embargo, uh, my dad bought one of these. That, my friends, whoops. Done that before too. That is a 1972 Mercury Marquis. Come on, Bill. Uh, Mercury Marquis station wagon. And you'll notice uh, as I finally get this picture up, if I can, uh, you'll notice the um, seriously cool 
uh, hidden headlights. This is really annoying. Which uh, I dug very much. I thought I thought they were groovy. There it is in all of its glory. Had fold-up seats in the back. It is uh, it, exactly right. Uh, GK Masterson called it a, a land yacht. It is an American land yacht. You could launch jets off of the hood of that car. That car was enormous. Had the fold-up seats in the back for the kids right in the crash zone, you know, in the rear impact zone. And I loved this car. I loved it. My dad absolutely worshipped it. He thought it was the greatest car he ever bought. I remember we went up to Disney World in that car, the whole family, which was very unusual for us. And we were going up the Florida Turnpike. This is much before the before I was in college, just 1972. My dad was a hotel manager, so we got early access to Disney World. So we're driving up in that in that American land yacht, uh, and this one. And he decided to take it up to 100 miles an hour, again, before the 55 mile an hour speed limit. And here's what I remember about that car doing um, 100 miles an hour, this car. At 100 miles an hour, which it just barely got to, by the way, I mean, just barely, it felt like you were on a hovercraft. You were going up and down and a little bit sideways, and there was no sense, I could tell from the, just from being a passenger, that there was no real contact with the road, that this car was was just kind of going in the same direction as the highway was. And my mom was completely nervous, and I don't blame her because the thing was just barely there. Um, so uh, we um, we got this car, which we loved. That was 1972. In 1973, the Arab oil embargo hits. And now all of a sudden there's no gasoline. and you would have to, it was like there was no internet either, obviously. So there was a rumor mill and I was living in Miami and and you would hear somebody say, they've got gas up on, on the Florida Turnpike at, on, um, on rest stop number two. They're, they're selling gas right now. And people would get in their cars and they'd drive for 60 miles in order to get a tank full of gas. They'd burn half of it or three quarters of it on the way back, but there but there was no other gas. So all of a sudden, everything is about miles per gallon. And my dad uh, did some research. And he came home one day. He was just mad as a hornet. He said that he had just purchased, six months before the Arab oil embargo, he had just purchased the car with the lowest mile per gallon rating in the history of American automobiles. I don't know if that is true, but I do know that the Mercury Marquis station wagon got seven miles to the gallon in the city, uh, but on the highway did much better. Got 11 miles to the gallon on the highway. Um, but that's just color. This is not really the point. Here's the point. This was an extremely unpopular law put in place by an unpopular president. And as things developed, people just got more and more angry. And then in 1975, along comes C.W. McCall with his song, Convoy. Now, we were really just listening to AM radios at the time. We had AM radios in our car. But when Convoy broke in 1975, they played Convoy every 15 minutes. It was every third song was Convoy because people were just calling the radio station. You couldn't just go out and get music. This just... Thing released. 
So we would listen to Convoy. They play Convoy every 15 minutes. And this was like a, was like a match into a, into a powder keg because all of a sudden, people were hearing the voice of, of truck drivers as being rebellious and being kind of the real America. Kind of the real America. That's what it was about Convoy. If you didn't know the song, uh, I'll, I'll play it during the uh, firewall that I make. Uh, I mean, during the moving back to America, I mean, I'll take the copyright strike. I don't care. But the whole thing's basically the story about all of these trucks getting together in this gigantic convoy and going from one end of the country to the other and breaking all the laws. The whole reason of a convoy, these things actually existed on the highways. It might exist today for all I know. But, but back in the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit days, just like in World War II in the Atlantic, all these cars and drivers would get together in a convoy and they'd all do 75 miles an hour. And the theory being that the cops could pull one car over, but they couldn't get them all. And, and, um, and so that's what we did. And I was telling you, I was coming back from, uh, coming back from Gainesville to, to Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Rick had an old Mercedes, had an old, old Mercedes. And, and we had three radar detectors in that car. So as we would make this trip back and forth, down to Miami on, on Friday nights, back up on Sunday nights, Rick was driving and I was the electronic warfare officer. That was my job. I sat there and I monitored the Fuzzbusters, which was the a brand name for a radar detector. So there's all these radar signals going on everywhere, and you know, the little dots are not a fun. Okay, contact uh, six miles bearing zero two zero. Slow it down, and and that's what we did. And then the CB radio thing happened with Convoy because it's about talking on the CB radio. Then everybody had a CB. Must have been terrible for the truckers to have all of these lunatics and losers suddenly come in. But that's where 10-4 came from and Good Buddy and all the rest of it. And it's all encapsulated in this song. That song, that song didn't just capture the moment. It created the moment. And people disobeyed that law from when it was written in 1972 until it was finally completely repealed, which I want to say was in the 90s. So let me know if any of this sounds familiar to you. Here's an extremely unpopular law that is caused by government incompetence. They, we couldn't drill our own oil. We were utterly dependent on, on the Arabs. It was an absolutely miserable, miserable deal. Waiting for gas was a miserable deal. It was kind of like the COVID lockdown. What made all of this much worse, and again, let me know if any of this sounds familiar to you, is that for everybody having to drive fa about as fast as you could walk, that's what it felt like. We estimated that the United States, in terms of total oil savings, that this 55 mile an hour speed limit was either 0.2% or as high as 1%. As high as 1%, let's just say half a percent. All of this saved one half of 1% of the total amount of oil that, um, that we were using at the time. And, and that experience for me 
is why when I found out that America was energy independent, I was over the moon. And when I found out we were exporting oil because of what we could do with shale and fracking and all the rest of it, I just was, it can't be possible. That's what, it's how it's supposed to work. Marisha Dark says sort of like the way they say the lockdown saved about 0.2% of the lives. So this is my point, And this is the, the entire reason I brought up this example. That law was a, was a bad law that didn't do anything, and everybody knew it. It was, it was something there for show, I think. And even though Nixon um, signed it into law and Ford basically implemented it, memory serves the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit for me is always associated with Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter was the guy who said, uh, you know, instead of having to you know, in the wintertime, instead of trying to heat your house to 73 degrees, why don't you set the thermometer to 65 or 60 or something like that and just wear a sweater? In other words, America, prepare to do less. Prepare to live a less interesting and less comfortable life than you did before. This was the peak, and now we're on the downhill slope. So you don't get to you don't get to eat your house anymore, and you don't get to drive your car as fast as you want to anymore. And everything's just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Running out of energy, running out of this, running out of that, and 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 just this this miserable kind of acceptance of it. And you began to think like, oh, is that it? I guess I guess life's just going to keep getting worse. Again, let me know if any of this sounds familiar because this is nineteen seventies. And then. Somewhere in there, that man had the audacity to get in front of the American people and say, there's a strange malaise, that's the word he used, strange malaise in America. And I don't know what it is or what's causing it. I don't know why everybody's so, so dark and depressed. And after, after four more years of that, where everybody is speeding, everybody, everybody, and speeding was not only something that you did, and it was not just breaking the law, it was something that you, that, that was, that you were proud to do. And, and now I get down to the absolute bottom of the brass tacks. That rebellion against government authority, and it's a real rebellion, by the way. If you listen to the song, it's like, you know, we crashed the gate doing 98. I said, let them truckers roll 10-4. They're talking about bursting through barricades and, and all of this stuff. It was us versus the government, the Smokies, the Bears. Um, because the highway patrol guys have hats that look like smoke, Smokey the Bear. And the whole thing was about being at war with your own government. And there's no question about which side you're on. And by the way, I think on the third stanza, third or fourth stanza, uh, they bring in the banjo. And you cannot maintain tyranny if the people have banjo music. Uh, because once that banjo starts, it's all over. Oh, it's all over. You, There's... <laughs> I, I've got a Foggy Mountain Breakdown on my um, on my phone, which was the getaway theme from, uh, I think, Bonnie and Clyde. But when you play that, you will go 15, 20 miles an hour faster, just, just because you kind of have to. Uh, Eric Blake says, yeah, uh, got a quote from the song. He said, calling all trucks this year is the duck up. We're about to go hunting bear. It was the rubber, rubber duck was the name of the, the guy who's singing the main song. So, 
this is what it feels like to me now. We haven't had that spark yet, but it's coming. And, and that sense of being at war with our own government, which pervaded the 70s and, and so on, really for the entire decade, this sense that these incompetent idiots have, have we, we, we don't have enough, we can't heat our houses, we don't have gas, we can't drive as fast as we want to. This, it's, it's a continent, this country. It's a continent. It's a big, big, big country, and there's nothing there on that highway, and we have to crawl along at 55 miles an hour. It was just offensive. It was offensive every day. It's just like wearing the mask, exactly like that. It's what it feels like. It's like, why are we doing this? Why? And why are they doing this? Why is the government doing this to us? It's not making a difference. They're just doing it for the show and they're doing it for the for the power and so on. So after six or seven years of this societal rebellion, what happens? Here comes a guy who says, no, our best days are ahead of us. We don't have to wear sweaters. We're Americans, for God's sake. You burn as much gas as you want, as, as much as you want, whatever you can pay for. America's not a, a, a thing in decline, it's a shining city on a hill. And here comes Ronald Reagan, and all of a sudden, ta-da! So, um, that's it. Dave Big Booty makes a great point. He said, you should see the size comparison of Texas to Europe. That's why we drive cars instead of riding trains. Yes. And Europeans, when Europeans come to America, they almost always fly into New York or, or Orlando or Los Angeles, and they see a little bit of the city. I have no idea how big this country is. When you have occasionally talked to, I've occasionally talked to Europeans who've, who've driven the country, and it's, it, it messes up their mind. I mean, in, in Europe, you can go through four countries in, in two hours. In, in America, two hours, it's not even enough to tell that you're deep inside Texas yet. In fact, I was, I did a lot of cross-country drives, a lot of long-term driving as a kid. Um, and when you go on Interstate 95 from east to west, let me get this right. No, it's the other way around. When you go from west to east, starting in Santa Monica, No, wait a minute. I got to get this right. I think I got it backwards again. And and Dave, I don't need your help. Just, just give me a second to remember what I'm trying to do. Okay. So when you're going when you're going from east to west, the mile markers count down. In other words, when you cross into a state, you see how many miles there are, and it counts down to zero. When you get to zero miles, you're at the next state. Coming the other way, they get bigger and bigger, but you have no way of knowing where does the state end. Going that way you know where zero is, so give you an idea what you're doing. So, um, you know, Florida, the frickin' panhandle, just looks, uh, the panhandle's enormous. It's, it's five, six mile, a six hour drive, the panhandle. And then you'd leave Florida, and you would get into, oh, Alabama, I think, a little tiny little stretch of Alabama. I used to know this, I'm embarrassed that I don't. But there's a little tiny little thing. So you'd see the mile marker, and the mile marker would say like 42 or something. Okay, 42 miles, no problem. An hour, less than an hour, we'll be out of there. 42, 40, blah, blah, blah. then you get to Mississippi, and it's 160 miles. Then you get to, you know, and it's 180 miles. Louisiana, 200, 190 miles, whatever it was, going, going, going west. 
And you're used to this. So we get to the next state, Texas, and we think Texas is going to be a big state. Man, it must be probably, it's probably three, 400 miles. And we got to Texas. And the first mile marker that came by said 880. 880. There are 880 miles of Texas to go. And we were doing fairly close to 88 miles an hour. And at 88 miles an hour, that's 10 hours without stopping at all. We weren't going 88, but especially in those days, we were probably pushing our luck by doing 68. And so these people have no idea. And this is why the law was so unpopular, because we weren't talking about city speed limits. We weren't talking about barreling through neighborhoods. We were talking about being out there on the interstate where on a busy day, there's just not a whole lot of stuff. And most of the time at nighttime, there's nothing nothing. And I just feel, I just feel that there's a very serious connection between then and now, because it's the first time I can remember now where it's starting to feel like the silent majority is getting ready to do something. And I'm seeing signs of it everywhere. And, uh, it's, um, it's amazing. Uh, the Canadian uh, convoy. Um, see, this is this is all. It, it just gets better and better and better. Scared Justin Trudeau out of his uh, office in Ottawa to a secret location because the truckers were rolling. And what that really means is, the people are coming. Not like he said. Well, I'm, I talked to protesters. Uh, I talked to Black Lives Matter protesters, but, but those are good protesters. They're not like these white supremacists. By the way, white supremacy is a term you will hear because racist is, is getting a little dog-eared and worn around the edges. But basically he's saying, well, I'm not going to meet with them. They're, they're, they're all a bunch of racist, white supremacist, uh, violent thugs. And this is how the people are being portrayed. Um, the people of the country are being portrayed as the enemy. And that's good. That's good. Um, Wizard says, yes, Bill, but the problem is that enough of the population is turning against the truckers. The left will use that to force the truckers out. I don't know if that's true. I don't believe it. I think that's media coverage. I saw pictures of these guys rolling, and I just saw people out on the street with signs waving the Canadian flag. I don't know who's got a problem with the truckers, but I bet you anything they're all in the cities, and they're all liberals, and they're all weenies and crybabies. Um, so uh, well, thank you, political animal. Um, yes, and GoFundMe froze their account. The, 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 the uh, Canadian Freedom Trucker Convoy got to $10 million, and then GoFundMe froze the account. Um, and uh, I just saw that the police chief of Ottawa said, well, we're going to have to bring in the Canadian military to stop these citizens from coming to the seat of government in order to protest something. They are very, very afraid. They're very afraid. They're terrified, in fact. And to their credit, at least as of now, the Canadian the guy who's in charge of Canadian Armed Forces says, we didn't hear anything about this. 
Uh, we're not a police force. We have no plans whatsoever uh, to engage in anything that even looks like this. So now, is that true? Wazard, it says it's now illegal to support the truckers. You get a $10,000 fine if you donate $1. I can't believe that could be right. Anyway, yeah, and they were going to tow them, but, you know, and, and, and get them out of there. But the tow truck driver said, no, I don't think so. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it, it is the, it is the, it's the, that rush of wind that comes in, just a, that breeze that comes in before the big storm comes. And I'm feeling it everywhere. And it is the, it is the pushback. And they're scared. They're scared. And they're scared because they've given it everything they've got and they failed. So we will see. We will see. Um, uh, we have a, a, a regular, um, uh, he's, he's, practically, he's practically the sidekick for the show. If I had a, another chair here, I'd get Dave Big Booty, which is an alias, believe it or not. Um, but Dave's a truck driver. And uh, Dave, is, uh, do you have a rough idea? when we might be seeing some action on the um on the american side of this because we can't let the canadians do all the freedom that's not right because there is going to be uh i think the truckers are saying we're going to unleash the dragon so when the american convoy happens watch out so you see how it works anybody who protests against the the um Towards the end of the month, okay. It's a short month. The honking. <laughs> Tim Moore's called it the honking. I hope so. Um, so uh, yeah, so so it's like what we saw with January six, right? Anything that's a legitimate group of the people, a legitimate protest from the grassroots of people who don't protest for a living, those people are terrorists and white supremacists and 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 insurrectionists and all the rest, but. Tens of thousands of illegal aliens can come across the border, and um, that's no problem. And you can burn down uh, entire uh, city blocks, and that's no problem. And you can uh, just destroy stores and take whatever you want. That's no problem. That's not an insurrection. It's not a riot, but but the people. So um, they are uh, they're afraid, and they should be, and. Somewhere in the last several months, I can't put my finger on where, but somewhere, um, I've realized that 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 we actually are going to win this thing, and that in, on some level it's already won. Just all the all the damage is still to come. Uh, and now I'm at a place where I'm actually kind of. I know it's, it sounds strange, but I'm actually kind of enjoying this now. Every time something like this happens, every time they do something that blows my mind, I just, I just feel good. It used to make me angry. Now I feel happy. When I saw that picture of Gavin Newsom there at the, at the game with no mask on, and, and then that made me happy. A year ago would have made me insane, but now it just makes me happy. Now I just kind of smile. And when he said, uh, oh, no, no, I was just, a, it was a quick break between, I just, just put down a drink and so on. It just, 
So the virus is kind enough, you see, to wait. The virus knows if you're about to take a drink. It says, look, it's not really fair. It's a very sporting virus, this virus, it's, this, uh, this COVID-19. It's got, it's got a very, yeah, and, and, and I say you have to admire it, frankly. I, I think, you know, credit where credit is due. The, um, the Wuhan virus is uh, an extraordinarily chivalrous virus. And, um, yeah, Marisha Dark got the word. It's a sporting virus. It's very, it's a good sport. That's the best way to think of it. It knows, at least in California, it knows that when you come into a restaurant, you have to wear a mask, but once you sit down at the table, you can take it off. The virus knows that, that it's not really fair to infect you while you're eating, so the viruses congregate by the door there, you see. And, and that's when it's, that's when it's a, you know, an actual gentlemanly sporting kind of thing. We've got our masks, virus is ready, and then we get past that, and then after that, then, you know, we take a little break. It's like, the, it's like the Christmas truce. That's really what it is. When you get inside a restaurant in California, take the mask off, it's like a Christmas truce. It's the same thing on an airplane, by the way. Pressurized cylinder uh, with, uh, with filtration system that actually is able to pull viruses out of the air. But you have to wear your mask on your, on your, uh, your five-hour flight unless you're eating because in a small contained place like that, that's where the virus really needs to be um, careful about only infecting people at appropriate times. By the way, I, uh, last, I did it by accident, practically. I got a couple of these really delicious, uh, what is this, some candy company. Uh, they're not really lollipops, they're more like, you know, I used to call them suckers, like what were those caramel things that were just great. Anyway, it's like a, it's like a, it's a 35, 40 minute lollipop. And I just kept, <sighs> not Tootsie Pops close, no, no, it's a, it was, it was a, it was a caramel, uh, no, it was a caramel on a stick. Um, sugar Daddy, furball for the win. Um, there you go. And, yeah, and, and Bart says if you bring enough uh, jerky on the flight, you won't have to wear a mask. It's true. It's true, Bart. That's the thing about it. That's why it's so ridiculous. That's why people are so over it. <coughs> Excuse me. Somebody asked earlier, and I will get to the questions like a wood chipper. Um, somebody asked earlier, uh, did I notice anything different about taste or so on after um, spending time in the uh, Wuhan weight loss clinic? And my answer is, I don't think my taste or smell has changed, but my metabolism has absolutely changed, and Natasha's as well. Natasha now sleeps three hours a night. She's having a hard time sleeping. I find, well, first of all, I, I lost 16 pounds, which I'd been trying to do, and I didn't have the willpower to do it. And, and I've looked at this as a gift, so I'm trying to get used to being hungry still, managed to keep the weight off so far. <clears throat> but I find I'm much more sensitive to cold than I used to be. Um, I'm certainly eating better, but there is something different. The fatigue is much better than it used to be. It's just much, much better. For the first couple weeks here, it was just brutal. Anyway, uh, that's that. So why don't we, um, why don't we get on with the chipping of the wood? We're going to do the members first, because that's only fair. And then we're going to, uh, then we're going to do, um, Facebook. And we're, we, we ain't going. Uh, until we get done, by God. 
Scott sent us a link directly to the Stratosphere Lounge questions. One moment, please. Remember, log in here. That's me. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Come on. Come on. Worst produced website on the internet. What? Oh, we good. Oh, okay, that's a dashboard. Let's try this again. All right, never mind. I'll just do it the old-fashioned way. Nothing like watching a guy watching an internet screen uh, for your entertainment dollar. Here we go. I noticed the views were up significantly, by the way, after we started saying, hey, thumbs up, they're up by, you know, 30, 40%. That's significant. Here we go, members. Come on. Members. Member forum. It takes a while for the, for the electricity to travel up and down the lines. Uh, Stratosphere Lounge questions and more. Here they come. Uh, 0203-2022, Stratosphere Lounge questions, and we begin. Ian Nolan says, uh, let's see what he says, get it out of the way of the camera. Bill, you're doing America's Forgotten Heroes for Daily Wire, as well as the game engine stuff here on Bill Whittle. Now that Daily Wire is starting to be a media production company and not just about podcasts, have you considered selling them scripts that are lower in your priority queue of things to handle personally. I'm going to wade into this, even though there might be an argument for me not to, but I am, uh, I would like to march back out to Nashville and sit down with Jeremy, not in the office, just as in the olden days, just go out to dinner, just the two of us walk around the block or something and ask him if he wants to go long. Uh, I can do another series of podcasts that they want to. In fact, they're asking me constantly, uh, how, can you get started on that? And, and I said, look, I got something to talk to you about. They are gonna get into, into film production. Right now, we've got Daily Wire, I, I don't know anything about the internals on Daily Wire. I just know it's an extremely well-run company and they know their business. But the podcasts did very, very well. Uh, the All three of them, Apollo, Cold War, and uh, America's Forgotten Heroes, they all got to number two in the world in all categories. That's room for improvement, but it's not a bad start. So there's a big demand for these things, and that's in their audience's wheelhouse. And when I say go long, what I'd like to do is I'd like to I'd like to take some of these stories that I've already told, and I want to make them into either feature films or mini films, 57 minutes, like an hour, maybe a TV hour, 54 minutes, something like that. Uh, we're not there yet in terms of the um, graphical quality of the of the humans. But we are certainly there now, especially with Unreal 5, for just about everything else. Mandalorian, as you probably know, is shot on a live stage with a gigantic, enormous TV screen behind them. 
so that the TV screen is actually lighting the characters. That's why the reflections off of his armor uh, actually look so good and work so well. Um, and if you were willing to do something like that, and he's expressed an interest in that, then what I mean by going long is, instead of doing another podcast, why don't we just make a little movie, you know, either either a 54-minute movie or a 90-minute movie? Why don't we do the story of Taffy 3 and not as a documentary? Tell the story and tell the story in terms of the human, the human activity, but start each one of these things with the message that says, the following is not based upon a true story. What you're about to see is a true story. We have gone to great lengths to make this as accurate as possible. This is what really happened. And then you tell the story like a, like a movie. You basically start, like 1917, uh, Marusha says, exactly, precisely correct. Yes, 1917 is a perfect example for this, except that 1917 was essentially a, a piece of fiction, may have been based on some event. I'm talking about, I'm talking about doing Frank Luke. And I'm talking about um, doing uh, John Paul Jones. I'm talking about doing the Doolittle Raid. I'm especially talking about doing the, if I, the, the two big ones, the tough ones, would be Taffy 3 and uh, the Azorian Project, the, the thing I covered in the Cold War where they raised a, a Soviet sub off the bottom of the ocean 16,000 feet deep. That is, those two stories are, to me, the most amazing stories that I have ever heard. Uh, Ryan, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, I don't have the means to do it. Uh, they, um, they, are, they got some deep pockets over there. And by the way, political animal, I, I, I get that, definitely. Uh, Rick says, uh, Rick, Rick G. N. Y. says, like Greyhound, precisely like Greyhound, exactly like Greyhound. If you've seen Greyhound, it's not a bad movie. It's just not really a movie. It's just a, an action sequence, but it's, it's worth the watch. It's a Tom Hanks movie about uh, Atlantic Convoy. I, I really enjoyed it, but just not, it's just not really a movie, you know, because there's nothing, there's no character arc. But nevertheless, put that aside. That was shot. They did some externals on on a Fletcher class destroyer. I forget which one there. I think there are four in the country that are still maintained as museum ships. They did a couple of shots on the actual ship and green screened out the sky. But virtually all of it was CG. And then the the the, the only set you had to build was the was the um, was the bridge, which is tiny, tiny. And I thought it was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, and so that's exactly what I said to Jeremy. I said, have you seen Greyhound? He said, no. I said, you, you should do that. That's homework for you. Um, I would love to do those. And and I think I had thought, and I still think, okay, it might, it's going to take another year of demos and another year of, of proof of concept, another year of this and that. Then I can finally go out and start, you know, really starting to move some some things here. But... I'm going to just say, hey, you know, uh, I'm not getting any younger. Why don't we see if we can just uh, pick up the pace here? And um, because here's the one thing I will say about Daily Wire. Uh, there's many, many, many good things to say about Daily Wire. But I will tell you this. Um, they are absolutely terrific production company uh, and, and terrific to work with. 
When I saw the set design for Apollo 11, I couldn't believe my eyes. I saw the set, the props, the prop dressing. The, 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 the equipment is state-of-the-art. They've got audio guys, music guys. They've got all these video engineers. They could produce this. They could get it out the door. And I could write it in such a way that it's interesting. And I know it's interesting because we've already done it. And it was number two in the world. So I think the easiest one to do would probably be Frank Luke. So we would use live action actors. In the case of Frank Luke, we'd use CG um, biplanes. We'd need uh, CG, uh, you know, uh, Western Front, World War One. But basically, all you really need is, is because all of this happens inside hangars and inside a mess hall. You need a couple of wooden buildings and some and some some actors. You know, just tell the whole story. You got it. it, it it's yeah, Eddie Eddie Rickenbacker and Frank Luke. It's wonderful. It's an incredible story, and it's easy. It's easy to do technically. Very easy. Very simple. That may be the simplest one to do. I'd like to do very much like to do um, John Paul Jones, but um, that's what I would like to do next. And then from there. I wanted from there, if that step comes before the other step, um, then uh, then I want to do The Colonies as an ongoing science fiction story. And if I can get to the place where somebody like Steven Spielberg, we have a couple things in the air at the same time, then I can go ahead and do big bad problems either with completely with CG or whatever. In another two, three years, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think you'll be able to tell the difference. Right now, it's still not, the metahumans are good, but it's not quite, not quite good enough. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, the, um, some of the, sh some of the scenes from DCS or Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, the exteriors, I, I can't, I, I can't detect that they're CG. And I got a good eye for this. Not all of them. But many, many shots, I've said, I, I haven't, there's no way for me to tell that's not real. Um, so uh, so that's, um, that's the plan, actually. Let's chip away. Henry Lumley, political tensions. Hey, Bill, so far this year, Tim Pool's podcast has experienced two swatting attempts and a DDoS attempted denial of service attempt. It seems to have been spurred on by hosting certain Republicans like Steve Bannon and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Tim Pool has predicted that those kind of guerrilla tactics will begin to be used more and more by the hard left, especially the closer the midterms get. What plans should Republican candidates make to deal with these kind of detestable tactics? What other dirty tricks do you expect to see this year other than the normal old bag of Democrat dirty tricks? What role do you think the federal agencies will play in the Democrats' dirty tricks also, please try to get on the Tim Pool uh, In Real Life podcast. I think it would be worth the trip to West Virginia. I'd love to go to West Virginia. Um, so, again, I just feel this, this groundswell where three, four, five months ago, I was just so furious at YouTube, you know, for, for the censorship, for the soft censorship, for the, for the, you know, for bumping Zoe, for, for turning our views down again and again and again and again and again. And I was just constantly kind of, oh, there you go. Now I'm, I'm actually pretty, you know, 
I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm Bill. Bill abides. I just, I'm just like the dude now. They're going to censor people. They're going to keep doing it. Every single time that they do something like this, their credibility goes down. They are, they are destroying their long-term prospects for short-term game. Just look at CNN. CNN used to be a news, a news uh, company. And it had an it had an extraordinarily good reputation. I remember when the Gulf War came out and they were going on, you know, nighttime all night long and stuff. And and CNN was CNN was news. But now it's a laughing stock. It's a laughing stock because it sold, it, because it destroyed what it is selling. It's not selling news. It's selling credibility, and they destroyed their credibility, and and it's not coming back which is why Joe Rogan is listened to much more than CNN, has 10 times their audience, and a much more, um, much more fervent audience. I saw something, uh, Mark Dice, I think, did something on, on uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, come on, he's the most... The, the, if he needed to preserve a species of beta male, this would be the guy. What is... Uh, his name. Come on, the guy who looks like like the pills, like the um, like the Tasty Puff Marshmallow Man. It just flipped flipped out of my mind. Uh, come on, here it comes any second now. Brian Stelter. Uh, I got it. I got it without the help. Brian Stelter. He was saying it's very dangerous. The people are listening to Joe Rogan and not to trusted news agencies like CNN. This is exactly what he said, and I was just laughing out loud. And Mark Dice was laughing out loud, and everybody's laughing out loud. They're not trusted the way that CNN is because, uh, because well, you know, because they don't have the layers of fact checkers and all of the other things that we have. What, what, think for a second, Brian. I know it's I know it's not habit, but just think for a second. Many m more people, many more people trust. Joe Rogan than they do you. So what is that telling you about the enormous studio you've got behind you and all of the staff and all of this budget? What does that tell you? It's funny how things work. Marusha Dark says the thousand doctors signed a letter against Rogan, but I bet a million would sign up if they did one in favor of him. I had heard that of those thousand doctors, six or seven hundred of them, uh, aren't really doctors. They're just in the medical profession or or they're doctors of geology or something like that. And Wizard said Crowder proved live that even the Wikipedia is sold out. Yeah, okay. Okay. The thing that has changed my mind on all this stuff is that it is, they have to come out now. They, they, have to, they are no longer able to work in the shadows, uh, Henry. Their detestable tactics are now in the open, and they have to govern. And and again, I've been saying this forever. If you're going to give, if the only way to cure people of socialism is to give it to them, the only way to cure them of Democrats is to give it to them. Let them, let the country see what they actually are delivering. And and I keep coming back to this: the 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 news feed from the White House on. Um, Instagram is is rabidly anti-Biden all the way down 48 out of 50 
uh, responders are, are, are not just negative, they're just shut up, you know, this kind of thing. Shut up. So, and that's what the, that's what the media dragging the carcass across the line. I'm telling you, it didn't, it didn't work. It, they didn't do it. The, the offensive failed. They, it failed. They didn't have the, they didn't have the steam. Nothing like it. Nobody bought their woke politics. Uh, nobody bought their woke culture, and nobody's buying their woke, woke politics. So, um, this is what happens when you go to war with your own people. It always ends badly. First, the people suffer, and then they suffer for a long time. Large numbers of people suffering, but then, eventually, there goes the czar, and there goes the dictator, and all the rest. Uh, just to answer your thing about what do I think the what role will federal agencies play in the Democrats' dirty tricks and when we see a, a normal bag of old Democrat dirty tricks. Somewhere around a month ago, or maybe a little bit longer, I started referring to the 2020 election as a sneak attack because that's what it was. Um, we are always such a, such a common usage, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but the generals are always preparing to fight the last war. And societies are all, always protect are always rapidly and enthusiastically trying to protect themselves from the last attack. So, uh, at the uh, on the morning of what was it November fifth, we wake up and we find out that five states had stopped counting only they didn't, and that all of this stuff happened and all these leads have evaporated. Happened right in front of our eyes, but we were constantly told by everybody, including fact checkers, that this whole thing was fiction. And to give you an idea of what I'm going at with this, you only get one sneak attack per war. It doesn't mean you only get one sneak mission, but you only get one sneak attack. You get one Pearl Harbor, and after Pearl Harbor, then all of a sudden, the radar is no longer being laughed at at Pearl Harbor. After Pearl Harbor, you got guys watching that radar 24-7. It shot down a bunch of our own planes, by the way, coming in. A bunch of our own planes got shot down because suddenly they show up on radar and they saw what happened when they didn't pay attention to the radar. They got one sneak attack. And it's the same thing with this election thing. A classic example is the, um, what is it, State Farm Arena? Allstate Arena? I can never get that, that straight, in Georgia. That was the big counting center in, in the heavily Democratic uh, district that stopped counting because of a broken water main, which turned out to be an overflowing toilet, which nobody took any pictures of either. Of course, where, where would one find a camera? Um, and so when they said at that place, forget about the whole country, at that specific place, when they said, we're going to stop counting for the night now. Everybody go home, and we'll start counting again in the morning. Here we are sealing. We're putting our seal on these things. And everybody went home, except for the people doing the counting. But my point is this. In 2024 and in 2022, if you think that they can pull that off again, I'm not saying they can't cheat again. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, if they tried to run that exact same thing again at all states, it oh, looks like we're going to have to stop counting again. Uh, you all just go home. You will find 
2,000 Republicans on the other side of that glass with their cameras, and they don't get to just go home. Now we know what to look for. Now we know what to look for. And by the way, if you haven't seen the trailer for Dinesh D'Souza's uh, newest documentary, he makes excellent documentaries. He's really good at it. Uh, 2,000 Mules, you know, just nothing but endless video footage of people stuffing seven, eight, nine, ten ballots into a mailbox and then pulling off their rubber gloves so they didn't leave any fingerprints and taking pictures of themselves putting the ballots into the ballot box so that they can get paid because they're getting paid by the ballot. Um, and, uh, and that's that. Uh, Political Animal 87 says Steve Bannon is raising an army of election poll workers. He's doing the work that the RNC never does. I have mixed feelings about Steve Bannon, uh, and most of them predated his fame uh, working with uh, Donald Trump just from being out here in the same business as him. But nevertheless, that is what it's going to take. And this may be a prime example of, of a war general, you know, somebody... Uh, uh, who um, is maybe not the, the perfect dinner guest, but, you know, he's out there doing it. He's getting it done. Okay, uh, Henry Lumley again. Hey, Bill, I was listening to the interview that Tim Poole had with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she was discussing her experience as a freshman congressman. She wanted to know how things work and naively thought that she was expected to show up and vote in person on legislation, you know, as anyone would think. What she found out was that only a small handful of congressmen show up to vote in person, and as a result, most bills are passed by vocal assent. And that's not even a real vote. No vote tally is recorded, and the vote is more like asking which side cheers the louder at a concert. So she looked into this and found out if she simply asked for a recorded vote at the moment of the vote, it would force every member of Congress to come out of their committees and to their and their offices to vote in person. Well, needless to say, this drove Pelosi and the Democrats nuts, but it also got Marjorie in trouble with the Republican leadership. Now we get to the, the, to the heart of the issue. Why? Because by forcing the members of the legislature to come and vote, it forced them out of committees, it forced them out of their office, it ruined their meetings with lobbyists, and it forced the members of Congress to put their name on their vote, and neither party liked that very much. Neither party. This also had the benefit of defeating dozens of extremely leftist bills. Once the moderate Democrats heard what was included in some of these bills, they voted to defeat bills from the AOC wing of the party. How is this not widely used tactic of Republicans if they wanted to resist the Democrats? You answered your own question, Henry. I hadn't heard about this at all, but it's, I mean, I hadn't the faintest idea about it. But it's a marvelous idea. Why aren't the Republicans doing this? Because the Republicans don't want to be pulled out of meetings with lobbyists or, or committee meetings and they don't want to give up their and they don't want to have to come in during their their uh three hundred dollar uh lunch it, it's as, it's it's as bad for them as it is for the democrats and this is where the whole world is realigning now it's no longer republicans and democrats it's not even it's not even conservatives and progressives anymore now it is the it is the people outside these elite uh, bastions versus the, the, the aristocracy. And, you know, strange bedfellows, right? It is, it is getting clearer and clearer. And by the way, more and more people are registering Republican every day. Not, and these are people who've hated the whole, the whole image of Republicans. It's just they can't stand what the Democrats are doing anymore, which is why I say keep it up, keep going. Make it more and more ridiculous. Um, 
so, so the bad news, Henry, is that the Republicans don't do it because because they don't want to do it. It's it's an it's an inside the beltway thing. It's it's the ruling class versus the people. When I when I first got a chance, um, oh come on, I'm really well, I'm really losing it today. My mind. Yeah. Alan West. When I first had a chance to talk with Alan West, he told me that his first, you know, when he first got there as a representative, he went to the orientation thing and they were thinking, well, okay, where do we do this? How do we vote? And and the Republican leadership said, things don't really work that way here. You know, it's, it's a, and, and the bureaucracy told the elected representatives how things are going to work. And I remember thinking even then, well, if I got elected, we would have a little different uh, situation there. Um, somebody came to me and said, well, that's not how things are really done here, uh, Senator or uh, 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 Congressman. My response would be, well, I was sent here by hundreds of thousands of people to represent them, and you were sent here by nobody. So you're not going to tell me how this works. I'm going to tell you this how this works, and I've already decided that you are fired. Goodbye. Um, and that's... How you change it? Henry's another one here. Um, oh, Henry's got some great ideas, and Scott put in an interesting. Thanks for the discussion. Uh, the, the suggestions. We'll discuss these. All right. Well, let me get to this first, just to break it up. Hey, it's from our friend Dave Olson. Uh, Hey, Bill, third time asking, first time posting here as well as on Facebook. We know you want to make those big epic movies like Big Bat Problems, Aurora, and the Space Western with John Boyd, whose name escapes me. Now that you've more or less gotten the hang of animation, will you start short vignettes for Dust on YouTube or uh, Love, Death, and Robots on it on uh, Netflix? Yes. Uh, Love, Death, and Robots is... is an impenetrable thing because that is a um, Netflix production and they hire huge production companies and do all of that. But Dust or, or some of these other YouTube channels that feature science fiction things, those are just, you just submit them and if they're half decent, you get there. Um, some of these, the numbers are not super great. I've seen a couple get into two or three million. Um, but uh, that's not enough money to keep it going. Really, I mean, look, this is not a big mystery why this is taking so long. It's taking so long because I had to spend a year or two learning the software. I've basically got that down now. I'm not running into, I'm not running into the kind of blockers that I used to get all the time. How do I make this happen? Now it's getting pretty familiar with that. Uh, I have a motion capture suit hanging behind me here that took me 45 minutes to, to get on and, uh, and, and didn't produce very clean results. I am ordered a Rococo suit back in October, I think early October. They had a three-month um, backlog because of the chip shortage. Uh, right over Christmas, when I was uh, in my delirium, I didn't check my mail for two weeks but when I did in mid-December they'd said hey guess what we're about to ship your suit and then I got 
I said, what time is it going to ship? They said, well, early January, first half of January, probably first week in January. I'm thinking, awesome, because now I can just do it. I can just act it out the way I do with the faces. I don't have to put uh, everything you saw with all of those animations about um, the, the battle stuff, which I think I will play again if it turns out that this button will do it. All right, stand by. Here we go. I'm going to do, yeah, I think this will work. So I'll talk while you, uh, I'll just show it again, because it, it'd be good for those of you who are interested to see how, how this stuff works. Okay, so so what's going on here? I don't have a motion capture suit, so those are just walking animations. Those are also walking animations. They're standard idols. I'm doing the head turns. I'm animating the head turns myself. These are all, that's my move in the head turn, but all of these things are just stock animations. They're walks and idols and all of the stuff. But the problem is they're, I'm dealing with, with like one guy's got a spear, so he's got a whole set of spear animations. One guy's got two swords, so there's another whole set of two sword animations. And it is horrendous to try and put these things together in such a way as it works. Now, there are things called uh, finishers. And what those are, are paired animations where, where, like that one, for example. You put animation one on one character, which is the attack. Animation two goes on the other character, which is him going down. And, um, and, and it looks pretty cool. But it is this shot, for example, this shot took me a, a day. And it shouldn't have taken me a day. And with the motion capture suit, it wouldn't have taken me any time at all. So I've got... I've got stock animations, but I've got thousands of them. And and every time I change one, I have to either retarget it or change the skeleton. It's horrific. It takes a long time. Um, so um, the uh, and, and and by the way, I can animate the heads, but if if you ever try to animate like a like just something simple like a kick or a walk. That is a real skill. It's a real skill. That is not something that anybody can do, and I certainly can't do it. So obviously, the whole point is to is to get me, you know, a staff of people who do this for a living. And then I've already worked this out. Ideally, I would set up the level in Unreal. I would put the characters more or less where I'd want them. I get the lights more or less where I'd want them. I'd say, here's camera one, here's camera two, and then I would send that out to somebody who said. I need a I need a fight scene here, and I want it to end with a with a sword clash with the guy going down somewhere on the X here, and he'd do it, and then I thought I would touch it last. I need to touch it first. I need to set up the the, the shot, the angle, all that other stuff. But in any event, with a little bit of money, we can we can rapidly increase our animation speed. Um. Let me see here. Okay, we'll do this one. Uh, the uh, the wood chipper has uh, has apparently suffered a major malfunction. It's just the questions are so good and they're so long. Uh, here's one from Marusha Dark on the members only website. Hey Bill, I know this would never happen in actual reality, but just for fun as a sort of a dress rehearsal. If you were to find yourself a guest on The View, what would you say to them if your intention was to absolutely destroy them on live television or to sincerely win them over to our way of thinking? 
I know it would be virtually impossible to get a word in edgewise since it would be five against one and they'd be constantly talking over you. But this is a thought experiment I often do is I feel it's prudent that conservatives have at least a script and a plan of action should we ever find ourselves in such a foxhole deep behind enemy lines. Under pressure, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Practice, practice, practice. Excellent. Yes. Um, I would not try to win them over because there is no winning them over. Um, I think I think my, my strategy would be to go right at them in terms of in terms of their arrogance. I get them to say something like, well, all of these antiviral drugs are absolutely useless. How do you know that? Well, it's in all the newspapers. Yeah, but our contention is, is that all those newspapers are telling the same story. How do you know that these things aren't working? Because people like me look at, look at primary studies. We, we look at the actual data. You get a guy like Brian Stelter telling you what to think, and you think it. So how do you know? And I'll tell you something else, too. One of the reasons, in fact, the main reason that I look at the original data is not so that I can prove myself right. It's so that I make sure that I'm not wrong. There you go. So I would just go at it that way, but I'd never do that show. And, and, and needless to say, you know, I, I think the temptation to just sit there and, and just not say a word until finally, you know, after, I don't know, you know, seven and a half minutes of this screeching harpies, it's just like, I think the temptation, will you broads just shut up? You know, something like that. That's probably what I do. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. Here's, I got another question from Henry. I, I'm trying to not do three or four. Uh, mention we need to get you in do a mystery science theater style 3000 video. Oh, yeah. Um, mystery science theater 3000 is, is uh, one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. When I was in college the second time, oh, by the way, by the way, I got the DVD player and I, and I took a look at my sketch comedy show that I talked about last time, two weeks ago. And I was able to recover at least a third of it. The disc is in real bad shape. I think one third of it is gone, but I definitely got one third of it. And so we'll be seeing that either next week or the week after. You get to see me 33 years old in, in TV sketches. And and I did one where I play uh, John Walsh on a show called America's Least Wanted. Uh, and I saw Conspiracy Week in Review. Part of it was cringy, and the other part of it was like, it's actually not bad. So... Yes, Dave Big Booty said MST3K started out as a local cable show here in Minneapolis. It did. When I first saw Mystery Science Theater 3000, I had that thought that I haven't had many times in my life, but that thought was, why, why, why did I not think of this? Why? Because anybody who's got a sense of humor, especially, um, you know, nerdy guys uh, that have anything better to do, We'd been doing that kind of thing forever, just sitting watching bad movies and just making wisecrack comments and make each other cry. So that's basically what it is. But but I got to tell you, um, Mystery Science Theater is a is a is a well written show, and it's not easy. Um, the the entire 
I almost said premise. It's obviously the premise. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the charm of the show the, is the idea that this is all spontaneous, that they're just watching and doing it in real time. But obviously that's not the case. They've written these jokes in advance, and, and writing jokes is hard. Uh, writing funny jokes is, is very, very hard. Um, so I have seen people try to reproduce that, including a reproduction of Mystery Science Theater 3000. They tried to remake it last year with with... Patton Oswald and all the rest. It was. It, it made me. It hurt. It hurt me. It hurt to watch. It was like. It was like. Well, as Jack Korkheimer said, regarding the Spanish version of Child of the Universe, he said it was like. It was like holding a man's coat while he molests your child. Um, that was pretty awful. Um, so. Anyway, so Henry's got a bunch of good things here. I'm trying to see if I missed anybody. Uh, no, I got Ian. Right? Yes. And there's one more in the members thing, then we'll go over to Facebook. Uh, Bill, a few weeks ago I posed the question to you about leaving California, but obviously it didn't take. Let me try one more time in our shared language. Uh, Bill, you have two minutes and 10 seconds. This is from Brother Bob. Brother Bob, in that time I have something to say. How long before the prediction of California's collapse is realized? Bill, approximately two more Democratic governorships. Brother Bob, the inevitable outcome? Bill, the empire shall be overthrown, of course. Brother Bob, the illogic of waste, Mr. Bill, a waste of lives, potential resources, time. I submit to you that your living in California is illogical because it cannot endure. I submit that you are illogical to be willing to do a part of it. This is the point where the smoke starts coming out of my ears and my little number thing starts glowing. And I said, Norman, coordinate. Uh, Bill, you have one minute and 23 seconds. Brother Bob, if change is inevitable, predictable, beneficial, doesn't logic demand that you be a part of it? Bill, but one man cannot summon the future. Brother Bob, but... One man can change the present. Be the captain of this move, Mr. Bill. Find a logical reason for getting out of L.A. and make it stick. Push till it gives. You can defend yourself better than any content creator on YouTube. Scott up. Brother, get in the chamber. Brother, brother Bob, what about it, Bill? Bill, a man must also have a moving truck. Excellent point, by the way. Brother Bob, in the state of Texas, a man is a man that can drive the truck to you for the right price. I hear he's even already on your payroll. If you ask him nicely, he might even help you load the truck. Bill, indeed. Brother Bob, what will it be? Past or future? Tyranny or freedom? It's up to you, Bill. It is time. Brother Bob, in every revolution, there's one man with a vision. In every revolution, there's one man with a vision. Bill, Brother Bob, I shall consider it. Uh, here's the problem, Brother Bob. Uh, uh, <laughs> I am here for illogical reasons. That's the problem. Otherwise, this has been a foregone conclusion. I am here for completely illogical reasons. The the, the your argument makes perfect sense uh, on a on a on a practical and a moral basis. It, it's just that's not why I'm here. Um, there there are there are no there are no rational reasons to remain in California. There are only irrational reasons to remain in California. And I have a significant amount of those. Uh, I think in order to appreciate the appeal that the, that the climate has on me, you really do have to have spent 20 years in Florida. Uh, that's really honestly it.
this guy Rick I was talking about earlier came out and shot a movie in California way before I ever got, 10 years before I got to, to California. And he said, um, he said, yeah, it gets warm in the daytime, sometimes you get in the 90s or even higher, but every night it gets down into the low 70s, high 60s. And I'm, and I'm thinking, because I'm coming off of, you know, coming, coming off of college where <laughs> we were in, Cal in college, I was staying in this house where we were all so poor we didn't have money for heating. That was not normally a problem, although I remember a couple nights waking up and first thing I see is my breath in front of my face. And and by the way, when it's that cold and you know that the only way you'll stop being cold is if you get up and go to the closet and put some other clothes on, but you know that if you have to get out from the bed, it's over. So uh, anyway, um, the main thing was it was just so bloody hot. In the summertime, um, Everybody had like a, a, a fan. There was no air conditioning. If there, no, there was no air conditioning. So it's, you're talking about three, four months out of the year. And during the worst two months of the summer, it got so hot in that house that the four of us dragged our mattresses into the living room. And I'm not making this up either. We dragged them into the living room so that we could bring all four fans into the same place. That was the reason. Those big floor plant, square floor fans. Um, so, you know, when I got off the plane here, I just, I, I could just feel it. I could feel it. And first thing I did, I was in the Pacific. I was in the water within three hours of landing. Within three hours of landing, I was out in the Pacific in a, in a wetsuit and in a boogie board. And, and I grew up in the Atlantic. I didn't just spend a little time on the beach. I was snorkeling since I was four. I was scuba diving since I was six or seven. I spent a lot of time there in the water. And when I got into the Pacific, I just felt like, oh, God, this is different. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I was thinking, not only was I thinking about this earlier today, I think about this every day. I think about this because I have to put a mask on to go from this room to the bathroom here in this building. And I used to get, again, I'm just calming down because I see the happy ending that's essentially coming in three, four, five years. I used to get really upset about it. Now I don't. I just think, okay, it's like, it's like the elevator being out of order for me. Um, yeah, uh, Wizard said, goes north of Texas. If it were me by myself, I'm pretty sure I would be in um, Idaho by now, but it's not me by myself. And my wife grew up in Siberia and Moscow. So cold places are where I want to be, and she's not going there. Warm places are where she wants to be, and that means I'll end up in a warm place because that's how it works. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of hoping it's going to collapse quickly and then and then just move into the vacuum. But right now, right now, uh, yeah, uh, John Pershing says, Bill, you're moving to Florida. Make peace with it. Well, Natasha, who's probably watching, is going to be pleased to hear that. Uh, uh, anyway, um, that's probably what's going to happen, to be perfectly honest with you. All right, so I think I didn't get all the questions on the members-only site, but I did get 
Oh, almost got everybody. Here's one I missed. Oh, how about that? Uh, greetings, Bill. Wazard13 here. Still looking to move to Red US, I watched Scott's interview with Mrs. Deanna Anderson and, and like not only the content of it, but also the format, I would absolutely pitch you a solo show with Scott Weekly or bi-weekly interviewing someone. Not only would it be a chance to expand on his repertoire on the channel, but it would also free you some more for focusing on your animation progress, projects. Best regards and best of luck. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Eduardo. Uh, that's... that's um, that's exceedingly kind of you. Uh, I know he's probably going to watch this, but I've been I've been saying to Scott since we started doing this. You know, if you want to do your own show, I will be happy about that. Happy, and um, and he uh, did a great job with that interview. And I said we should be doing more of this. We should be interviewing our members. They're interesting people with interesting things to say. And that video, by the way, I don't know what the number is now, but it cracked 10,000. That's a big number for us these days, which I'm embarrassed and shocked to say. So, yes, I'd love to see more of that. Absolutely love to see more of it. It was a great interview, and it was well done and, and all of that stuff. So that's a, that's a great suggestion. So, um, Henry, if you're watching, uh, I missed a couple of yours, and it looks like Marusha, you had two, and I've got one of them. Oh, nope, I missed one. No, that's a Marusha Dark question. Okay, so... Um, I got, I didn't get all the questions, but I think I got everybody. So now to the Facebook page where we will sally forth. Let the chipping begin. Let the chipping begin. Where is it? Here we go. Okay, what do we got? I don't want to write a comment. I want to see that. Oh, I have to refresh the page. <coughs> Excuse me. I beg of my pardon. Thank you, uh, Wizard. I won't, I won't, I won't do it twice. There, uh, 23 comments. Great. Well, it says only 10 more comments. I'll take it. From Mr. Eric Blake. Hail Vectron, Bill. Hail Vectron. I've forgotten what the Hail Vectron salute is, but it's... It's, it's cool. So in response to in the right angle bit about constitutional convention, the thing is, uh, by the way, that, that was just uh, this last week's right angle. Scott said we are gaining states for the constitutional convention. We're about halfway now. My response was uh, essentially what good do adding amendments do if they're not obeying the laws already? If, if the amendments that are in place, like the First and Second Amendment, are being uh, selectively enforced, then what good is... What good is anything else going to do? Uh, so in response to the right angle vid on the Constitutional Convention, the thing is there are two current very serious flaws in the Constitution that need to be repealed, the 16th and 17th Amendments. Amen. Those amendments were put there by progressives in the early part of the 20th century, and they are catastrophic. Uh, one of them that was so catastrophic along the lines of the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit was prohibition, which was so bad was such a bad amendment that we had to add another amendment undoing that amendment. Uh, the 16th Amendment, well, I'm back to Eric. We abolish income tax, restore the Senate to its actual purpose of representing the state governments, thereby restoring actual federalism. I feel we can honestly say we're not just following the Constitution as written. What say you? Uh, what say me is if we were uh, 
obeying the Constitution, we'd be out of most of this trouble. But yes, those two amendments have to go. The, the income tax amendment is what allowed the federal government to be $25,000 billion in debt. And by the way, there is no income tax if it weren't for payroll deduction. If, if you had to write a check the way I do as a small business owner, and you had to just write a check with five figures on it, you know, four times a year, you would, uh, maybe not that much, but something close to that, you would, um, you would, if every single person had to part with money that they'd gotten and then put it back, payroll deduction is genius. Genius on the part of the government. Genius. Because you never see it. And since you never see it, you don't miss it. And I'm not going to do this again because I've done it before, but nevertheless, it's so bad, it's such an effective policy, rather, that people have them take their money and the interest on that money all year and then when they get $200 back or $800 back, they're overjoyed. Hooray, I get a refund. What am I going to do with my refund? I don't know. What could you have done with the money that they took before? So that, that alone was uh, a problem. And the 17th Amendment is hours and hours and hours on that. But yes, as written, the Senate was the House of the States and the House of Representatives was the House of the People. And the Senate was there. Originally, the Senate, the senators were determined by the state legislature, not by the people of the state. The people of the state sent the representatives to the House. The state legislators elected two senators, and they didn't go to rep they didn't represent the people of Alabama. They represented the state of Alabama, and that's why the federal government didn't become overly powerful because you had people who represented the states blocking everything that was an accumulation of federal power. But the progressives, as usual, managed to find a way to do it and talk about democracy. Well, you know, elected, but what about, you know, completely ignoring the fact that the state legislatures themselves are elected by the people of that state. Well, it's not fair. I don't think they're a democracy. You know, you have a people. So that's what they did. So now the, now the Senate is essentially the House of Lords. It's, it's just, it's, it's the House of Lords. There's nobody looking out for the states. And that was a catastrophe. Catastrophe. Uh, let's see. Jason Rasmussen. Thoughts on 2021 Dune? It inspired me to read the book. Have I read it? I have read it. I read it well before the first movie came out. Uh, I think you can make a... In fact, challenging to make a counter-argument that Dune is the best science fiction story ever written. And, and I know they did like... 93 of them but the first one is probably the best science fiction story ever written um it was a, it was tolkien-esque in its in its detail in its in its immersion the way that the pieces actually interacted it it it, it had so much thinking behind it and it was the exact opposite of modern movies, which are lazy. This this work was a, was a work that required an awful lot of work. Same for Tolkien. Um, the um, the uh, the story is amazing. So let me tell you what I thought about the new one. It's a strange feeling. I loved the look of it. I I, I thought it was brilliant. 
brilliant. I always thought the David Lean version was, here's, a, here's an adjective you don't hear too often. I thought it was very Baroque, you know, just, just too much weird. Um, but I love the look. For example, the ornithopters, the, the, the flying vehicles that fly with wings and stuff. I always found that to be a, a kind of a lame sort of a thing, you know, flying wings, you know, flapping wings. It doesn't work. But when I saw the, the new Dune and I saw they, they were like rotors and they looked like rotors and they sounded like rotors, I thought, wow, that's actually really cool. So, and by the way, and there were some sets in the 2020 version where you realize just the scale, the vertical scale of this stuff. So visually, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I thought, this, I thought the story was fine. I thought the cast was great. But here's the thing about the modern Dune. I loved it. But when it was over, I had no desire to see it again because it wasn't a finished movie. It just ends. And, and... It ended. They hadn't even they hadn't even greenlit the sequel. That's just wrong. You're going to make that movie make the movie, and if it's a four or five hour movie, then then make two parts of it at the same time. But honestly, it just ends when it starts to get good. And what are we supposed to do? Hope? We're going to hope that maybe they make the second part again, and we'll see it in eight years. By the way, um, I know. Um, uh, uh, I know a guy who was in, um, well, I know Joel who was in Avatar. He played the scientist guy. He's one of four people that had an avatar, real people that had an avatar made out of him. And, um, and uh, they've been working on the Avatar sequels since 2012. Avatar came out in 2009. They've been down there, he, he apparently, Cameron says he's going to do, um, you know, three. He's working on three, going to release some of them. Uh, no, I'm not saying he's not going to do it. I'm just saying, you know, Jim, the moment was, was there and the moment was gone. And the moment was, was 2009. If you'd put out another Avatar in 2011, you would have cleaned up. But now... I mean, if they put out Avatar 2, I'd go see it. The first one was just shockingly, painfully, um, yeah, ultra-lib propaganda, as uh, Bagus Bright says. Hello. Hi. We're good, thanks. Okay. Have a good night. Uh, you know, and um, here's something I haven't talked about, but it, it's, it's a good example. Um, if I can find it quickly, I'll do it. If not... I won't. Um, Cause I I did not see this myself. I, I wish I had. When somebody when somebody pointed out to me it, it actually took my breath away. Uh, okay, looking here it is. Okay. Yeah. It's a relatively low resolution picture, but that's not going to matter. So I'm going to bring this in and I'm going to blow it up. Uh, you may remember the scene in the movie where the evil humans, uh, evil, evil humans, uh, got their first briefing. It took place in this room.
Come on, Billy. You can do it, boy. There we go. You may, you may remember the Avatar briefing room. And everybody saw this, and I saw it, and they think twice about it. These are the bad guys. Um, and these are the bad guys in their home bad guy uh, uh, office. Now, the question is, how many of you saw the American flag? How many of you saw the American flag? I'll show it to you again. Ready? Here it comes. Now you see it, right? You didn't see it before, but now you see it. And as they say on uh, Red uh, Letter Media, you may not have known it, but your brain did. Yeah, it's, it's a series of Venetian blinds with an air conditioning unit. And I watched it a hundred times. Well, I didn't watch it a hundred times. I saw it. I saw the scene. Never saw it, but there it was. Part of me saw it. And this is a great example. This is the kind of thing where people just go, holy crap. Yeah. What do you think about that, huh? James Cameron, super capitalist, bitching and moaning about how bad capitalism is. He spent, <coughs> spent a lot of time down in the Amazon. I got to tell you, I do respect James Cameron. Well, first of all, he made my favorite movie, um, which was Aliens. And secondly, <coughs> um, he um, he did that dive to the Marianas Trench, and that took genuine guts, genuine guts. But also took a lot of money, which he happened to have a bunch of. He spent a lot of time down um, in in the Amazon. When I say a lot of time, I mean probably a week or two living with the natives and, you know, telling him what the Navi would say. I see you. As the, I think he said that on one of his speeches or something to his staff. The Navi say, I see you. It's like, there are no Navi. Um, but in any event, the story was terrible. As an interesting uh, side chamber uh, or side light or side step or, or, or side... Uh, hustle or whatever. I was reading a history book about the Belgian Congo. You've probably never heard of the Belgian Congo. But at the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of the 20th century, King Leopold II of Belgium went down into Africa, colonized the entire interior of Africa, and killed 10 million Africans. He killed 10 million of them. He worked them to death, or he would send people out, and they would, you know, basically trying to get the, um, the rubber. First they were going after ivory, then they were going after rubber. Yes, 10 million people killed during the, um, the Belgian Congo. Utterly forgotten by history, because they're Belgians. 10 million killed. Uh, I saw a, an interesting, unrelated to what I'm about to say, is an interesting animation of the slave trade. Every single slave ship that traveled for the last 400 years that there's a record of, you see it start here and go here. And the bigger ship means more people. And you see these slaves coming out of Africa. 
and they're almost all of them are going to Brazil, almost all of them, and most of the rest are going to the Caribbean. The the number that got to the U.S. I want to say it's two to three percent of all the Africans taken out of Africa in the slave trade came to America. That doesn't justify it, but it does put a little bit into perspective uh, in terms of this idea that slavery is unique to America. About three percent. It's just Brazil and the and the Caribbean. Anyway, um, I was reading about King Leopold, and uh, in this history book. It turns out that there was a guy who was uh, who who went up there, I think, to try and basically just pilot a ship or something. He wasn't definitely wasn't part of the Belgian thing. He was just kind of a adventurer who got in there and kind of got out again. And this guy's name was Joseph Conrad, who wrote *Heart of Darkness*. *Heart of Darkness* is essentially based on the Belgian Congo. That's the Congo River that he's talking about in *Heart of Darkness*. I hadn't read *Heart of Darkness*. And um, and uh, and I realized I, I should, so I did. So I read *Heart of Darkness*, and it was it was it was pretty good. And then I read. Um, seems like I did one more in between. Anyway, then I read *Lord Jim*. Now. Conrad, when he's on his game, is absolutely excellent. But there, but there's an awful lot. Yes, Tim, it's the one that Apocalypse Now is based on. But Lord Jim is really indulgent, really, really, really indulgent, and 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 kind of tough to push through. However, however, it's a great story. And the story of Lord Jim, and they made a movie of it with Peter O'Toole, and the story of Lord Jim is about a young, um, young upper-class British guy who, who joins the Merchant Marine and is, is constantly preparing himself in his head for all of the heroic deeds he's going to do. And there's a crisis, and he and the rest of the crew run away and abandon the ship, and he is then absolutely ostracized, and he's consumed with a never-ending sense of guilt because when his moment came, he not only ran away, he ran away at the cost of many, many other lives. At least that's what it looked like, and um, and it was it was international news. So, this guy Jim keeps moving as civilization kind of pushes outward. He stays on the far end of the boundary, and ultimately he finds himself in a um, oh what was the other one I read uh, 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 um, the the, the uh, Nostromo. I read Nostromo between the two. Um, but in Lord Jim, uh, he ends up as kind of a god king that brings order to this little village in the center of somewhere. Africa or South America? Certainly Nostromo was set in South America. Um, and... I realize that is where, at least as far as I know, Lord Jim is the first example of the white man coming to save uh, these poor natives from other white men. That's basically it. Um, and and you know and and the, the just the racism involved with with guys like James Cameron. You know, it takes essentially what he's saying is 
the, the, the natives cannot defend themselves unless a member of the occupying party, the white savior archetype. That's right, Eric. That's exactly right. And, and Lord Jim was, you know, was a decent read. Nostroma, however, was fantastic. I knew there was something in between those two. I, I, Heart of Darkness was okay. And, and, um, and uh, Lord Jim was indulgent but had its moments. But Nostroma was brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, I'd always wondered where the name came from. Uh, as a character in, um, in a Joseph Conrad book called Nostromo. It's an Italian um, kind of a drifter who, who lands and becomes a powerful guy. And Nostromo is, is a uh, kind of a bastardization of Nostromo. He's our man. And um, so needless to say, the only Nostromo I knew was from Alien which is the name of the ship in Alien, and I always thought it was a strange name. I had no idea where it came from. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that the town that all of this thing happens in, in Nostromo, it's a fictional uh, South American country called um, uh, Guano, Costa, Costa Guano, something like that. But the main city in this, in this fictional um, South American Republic is the, is the town of Sulaco. So well, that was pretty cool. All right, um, chipping away back to Facebook. <coughs> Excuse me. That was Jason um, Rasmussen on the 2021 Dune. Joseph K. Currently reading Apollo by Charles Murray and Catherine Cox. As a millennial, it gives me kind of nostalgia for the era when the boomers grew up in. Like you, I've always wanted to be a steely-eyed missile man, and reading this book, I can see the swagger with which these professionals in the manned space program conducted themselves. Something about cool guys from that era seems to have a certain coolness about them, especially under pressure. It's something I don't see celebrated much anymore, as epitomized by the more recent depiction of the Apollo program like First Man. Yes, First Man is a, is a, uh, a post-woke look at the greatest achievement in human history and what I happen to think is the, the greatest American who ever lived. Uh, and, and they turned Neil Armstrong into um, a robot. He had no feelings, you see. That's why he was able to do it. He, um, he was uh, uh, just a robot. And, and you know, they had the the Gemini Eight scene where they start rolling out of control, and it's like uh, nothing about the fact that the thing about Neil Armstrong was that that he was able to simply Jaeger had this quality too. He could simply take mortal danger and move it off to the side and just concentrate on the problem. If you listen to the Apollo Eleven uh, landing when they get their um, 1202 warning where the radar's not working and they need the radar to know how high they are because without that they can't land and and they make a big boom. Actually, they don't make a boom at all. There's a flash of light. Uh, and the most anxious that Neil Armstrong ever got was, uh, yeah, he said, Houston, update on, give me an update on the 1202. And he sounds... He sounds like a guy... Um,
He sounds like a guy who's annoyed because somebody took his stapler, you know? Has anybody seen my stapler? Can I get an update on this 1202? Um, so, uh, yeah, Joseph, you know, but that... I look, I, I never watched Mad Men. I, I saw plenty of stills and I've seen little moments, a lot of little clips from it, but I never, I never watched the show. But um, every time I look at that show, I realize um, they were just, you know, they were just studs, these guys. I mean, they ill-mannered studs, and alcoholic studs and stuff. But damn it, they look like men, you know. They really did. I mean, Don Draper is iconic and when you see John Hamm as John Hamm he looks yeah you know he's just another decent looking guy but Don Draper in those suits cigarette in one hand scotch in the other good lord that and, and those suits, the clothes, and, and that was everybody. If you look at New York City, if you look at New York City um, in, the, in the early 60s, everybody is dressed like that. Everybody. All of the men are in, are in really sharp suits. Every single one of them. Everybody on the street, all the women are in skirts or they're, or they're, they're ready to go. And, and it just, it's unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. Um, and, uh, and every time I see that, I just think, wow, you know, we really losing some, and by the way, Don Draper looks like an actual man. He doesn't look like a boy. I think Brad Pitt is a great actor. I think he's absolutely terrific, but basically Brad Pitt, it looks kind of like a boy and, um, and, and most of them do these days, but Draper. And, and and everybody else in the office too. They look like men, you know. Um, so somebody said in the comment section that Candace Owens uh, doesn't believe in the moon landing. Well, she's dead to me now. Uh, okay, so there's Eduardo's question, which you already took. Uh, Jean Marie, good to see you back. Thoughts on Zuckerberg's huge loss? Are we talking about? Um, Zuckerberg or Zucker? It's not good for the Zucks out there. Uh, I, I'm hoping you think Zuckerberg, I think, I think Meta lost a lot of money, right? Uh, couldn't happen to a nicer reptile. Um, uh, he, uh, he, it's like another, it's just another case of me just kind of like relaxing. Um, Zuckerberg thinks that people want to live in a virtual reality world and you see him in this world with these giant wall screens and he's got his own avatar of himself and he can do all the things you can do in the real world. You can do them online in virtual reality and he thinks that people want that, but they don't. And, and, and so far disconnected from from real and this is inevitable 
when you are when you are on the street you when I say on the street when you're a regular person you deal with regular people and you, you deal with issues and and Facebook originally was like oh you mean I can contact all the people I used to go to high school with fantastic they used to charge me for that at um, classmates.com um, and then all of a sudden you become this rich and powerful. And by the way, he was an evil guy. If you ever saw the Social Network movie, it, it, it's really, you really need to see it today. Um, he's just one of the worst people in the world. He's just a terrible, terrible man. And he was like that before he became a very powerful, terrible man. Um, but he really believes us. And that's when I just kind of, again, I'm starting to get into the popcorn phase. It's like, oh, really? You honest? Do you really believe that, do you, Zuck? Mr. Zuckerberg? Can I call you... Uh, Jeff, you freaking reptile. So he really believes this. People don't want that. People are interested in virtual reality, but the last thing they want is virtual reality that recreates the world that's all around them. It's just, it, that's how far off the mark he is. You don't want to go into virtual reality so that you can live the life that's outside the door. The whole purpose of virtual reality and video games is to get the hell away from life as it exists. You know, oh, you can now you now with Meta, you can go shopping without leaving the house. Well, I can always do that on the Internet. And why would I put on a pair of virtual reality goggles and push a, a virtual cart through a virtual supermarket and use my virtual reality? It's insane. It's insane. But he bet the farm on it. And when he bought Oculus, when Facebook bought Oculus VR, I thought, oh boy, he's gonna he's gonna figure out something. He, he's he's just not real. And I was and and I thought, oh good, he's gonna lose more money too. Facebook is on its way out. It's gonna you know look, it's not gonna go. But I, there's nobody believes who doesn't believe that we're past peak Facebook. Right, peak Facebook happened in 2014, 15, maybe at the latest. Um, you know, my my nephew was here for two weeks. And he had nothing else to do but play um, uh, uh, virtual reality games because we were pretty sick, and um, and he just spent the whole time in a in an arena as a gladiator, beating the hell out of these guys, and he was real good at it too. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, I just, uh, he's, he's out of touch. Uh, Helio says when Facebook bought Oculus, I sold my Oculus. Yeah, I know the feeling, man. I really do. Um, so, excuse me. He needs to be in jail. He's he's broken any number of of laws, including the the prime law, which is same as YouTube. Are you a carrier or are you a content provider? If you're editing content that makes you up that that you're no longer a carrier, you no longer have the protection of a carrier. The reason YouTube exists is because YouTube claims legally that we're carriers. In other words, if I upload a video of um, the latest uh, Star Wars movie and and uh, Disney comes after uh, comes after that clip for copyright violation they come after me they don't come after Facebook 
Facebook can just, uh, or, or YouTube, YouTube can just say, how we just look, we're like the electric company or the cable company, you know, we didn't create the stuff, we just distribute it. Well, okay, fair enough. But once you start, but once you start selecting things out based on your own politics, now you are creating content. He needs to, um, he needs to go to jail. He knows it. And when you see him, when you see him being grilled in the Senate, it, it, it really is enough to make you believe in this stuff. Excuse me. He, he, he's just, just this dead-eyed stare. And, um, and, uh, and, and by the way, and, and it wasn't just Zuckerberg, but he was doing it a lot. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Zuckerberg. Uh, Senator, I, I don't have that information right in front of me, but I'd be um, be happy to circle back with you on that and get you that information, dot, 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 when I'm no longer under oath, dot, dot, dot. Horrible person. Horrible. When I found out he, he went to the China, went to Xi, uh, the, the China president, at an event at Obama was hosting a dinner and um, and he went up to him and uh, and asked the this is the guy who runs Facebook went to the president of China at a dinner party and asked him in reverential terms would you please name our baby we want to name our baby we want to give our baby a Chinese name it'd be such an honor if you were to name our child and he basically said uh, no If you've got a guy who controls that much information in the United States and his great ambition in life is to have the president of China name his child. What was that? Thing? Um, okay, moving on. Uh, David Crean, what advice would you give to someone wanting to break into documentary filmmaking? That's a good question. I'll give you my first, my first answer. I would say get a good graphics guy. Um, when I, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about this documentary I saw called um, Jack the Ripper, The Missing Evidence. And I was thinking, oh, I've seen these things so many times, you know, I've seen them so many times. Uh, this guy, and he's known to wear a top hat. And blah, blah, blah. But they immediately had graphics of policemen walking a route. And here's here's uh, the, these two guys, and they're walking here, and, and the policemen. And, and it was like, ooh, I can visualize that. Um, so um, so the first piece of advice is I would I would throw some eye candy in there because one of the problems with documentary films is that they tend to be visually pretty boring. As a general rule, they, they just are people talking or still pictures. Uh, Ken Burns essentially invented the, the, the documentary style because he did this enormous magnum opus on the Civil War and he didn't have any footage. He had a bunch of stills, but he didn't have any footage. And, and it was, 
I, I think it was him, I hadn't seen it before that, would take a still picture, do a, do a push and a pan on it, and then he would have a voiceover, come on. He wouldn't have the narrator say, and then Colonel Johnson wrote to his wife saying blah, blah, blah. He'd get a second voice to come in, and he would read the letter, and then, and then you would hit in the face, and then, then the narrator would come in and say, Sullivan Ballou was killed in the first battle of Bull Run or whatever. Uh, no, I, I, I messed up my finger a little bit. Somebody pointed it out to you. It's a little, like a little hangnail-y kind of thing, which I do when I'm stressed. Uh, I, I'll probably survive it. I don't think I'll bleed out on, on the show anyway. Um, so I would say that, and, and I would say... Um, I saw um, this morning, I saw a machinima... Uh, like a cinematic on the Battle of Cressy. And it was made using the Total War software, but it was made by a guy who really knew how to make films. And so it, um, it looked great. And, it had, and, it, and, and he had shots. He would set up shots. Uh, so um, I would just say again, Find any way you can to make it visually interesting because that to me is what is what slows documentaries down. Uh, if that's what you want to do, and, and it's a perfectly noble thing, a Cressy, Battle of Cressy, C-R-E-C-Y. Um, uh, there's probably a couple of them out there, but this one was excellent. Um, you can, you're in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, shoot extraordinarily good stuff on an iPhone. Editing software is essentially very, very inexpensive. Most any computer can do the editing now at 1080p without any trouble whatsoever. So the tools are there. Uh, you just got to find something interesting and, and, and find a way to tell it other than have people sitting there talking. Um, what was I about to say about that? There was one thing... Um, Anyway, uh, Deb, I hope that hope that helps. Oh, sorry, big pardon. That wasn't Deb. That was David. Deb Stanko. Bill, uh, sorry if you've already covered this. If you have, then feel free to ignore it. You've mentioned a few times that you're a fan of Warhammer 40K. My question is, Imperial Truth or Imperial Cult, and which faction is your favorite and why? Hooray. Uh, I was, strangely enough, thinking about that earlier today. Uh, I haven't read any 40K stuff in a month or two. Um, but I'm actually a fan of, of, of Warhammer 30K. Um, which I heard somebody describe it as. Uh, I know for those of you not fans, this is all in the weeds. I'll make this quick. Uh, 10,000 years before Warhammer 40K was this enormous civil war called the Horus Heresy. And everything about that I find fascinating and interesting, and everything after that I find to be incredibly disappointing in terms of, of that. The Primarchs is is a brilliant idea. So basically, there's the uh, there's been an emperor for thirty thousand years, or ten thousand years. He's the emperor. He's known as the emperor of mankind. He's this ultimate uh, psyker, and uh, he decides that he needs generals. So he so he manufactures using genetic engineering. He alters his own DNA, and creates twenty primarchs. And each one of these are like super superhuman. 
the, the Astartes, the warriors, are, are humans who get lots of drugs and, and extra organs and all that other stuff. But the Primarchs are even bigger than the Astartes, and they are made from the ground up to be essentially living, um, uh, living gods, basically. And each one of them has its own characteristics. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, there are 20 Primarchs. Two of them disappeared, which is brilliant. They just don't talk about them. So you've got 18. Having read enough 40K, I, I think that, that 18, that there are too many appear to be the same. There's not enough distinction between like Moritarian and Pertabo. You know what I mean? Or, 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 um, or, uh, Cruise. It's like you got room for one guy there, maybe two, but but there's that, and there's also something that's just a little bothersome to me. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is like, okay, so we have the Dark Angels, and we have the Blood Angels, and we have the Iron Hands, and we have the Iron Warriors, and all this other stuff. I'm thinking, well, what about the what about the Blood Warriors and the Iron Angels? You know, but these are these are nitpicking. The the story is absolutely epic, um, and. Uh, and when it comes to the Primarchs and their legions, each legion has its own personality, and uh, and it tells a lot about the reader. Since these legions have, first of all, half of them are essentially good and the other half are essentially evil. There's just that. But so many of them have their own unique personalities. It says a lot about uh, the kind of person you are because you are attracted to a certain legion or a certain Primarch. And with all that said, I'm embarrassed to say that the honest answer is the most common one, and that is I'm, I'm kind of an Ultramarines guy. I'm a, I'm a Smurf. I think uh, Robut Gulliman is my favorite Primarch and, and, uh, because he's a law and order guy. Um, I like Rogel Dorn very much. I like, um, I like the Space Wolves. Uh, very much. But yeah, 13th Legion, I guess, if I had to say. Um, and uh, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, GW is the publisher, right? Is that Games Workshop, I think? British company. And on YouTube, the fan animations were absolutely fantastic. They were just, some of them are just brilliant, brilliant, crazy brilliant. And then Games Workshop basically said, we're going to take them down, don't make any more, because they're doing like a streaming service for 40K. And they thought they could co-opt some of those guys and basically lock the rest out so that nobody would get to see anything other than what's on the streaming service. Nobody wants a streaming service. It's a pathetic, weak streaming service. And furthermore, and much more, much, much, much worse, Games Workshop has decided that they want to go for, like, the kids' market now. So now these legionaries are essentially like Star Wars characters, and all of the grimdark is gone, and without the grimdark, you got nothing. The thing about that, about that franchise, about that intellectual property, is not just about how dark it is, but it's like how much fun you have trying to imagine how bad things could be. That's what I think the real charm of 40K is, is that it is so unrelentingly horrible that it's actually kind of fun, you know? 
you've got a planet with billions or trillions of people on it, what happens? So how do you feed them? Well, you just recycle them. You put out corpse paste. So basically what they've done is they've taken what made that franchise unique and gotten rid of it in order to sell the franchise to people who would never be for it anyway and now have no reason to go. Tim Morris has got it exactly down. Psychological horror on a civilizational level. Yes, it is the ultimate dystopia. This is how things can go as wrong as they go. And that's why the Horus Heresy is so, is so amazing because, because the future of mankind was actually looking like it could have been pretty amazing. And then these dark forces in the universe and in, in the warp, the forces of chaos, corrupt his, his most powerful son. And now you've got a civil war and destroys everything. Um, but, and, and, and I'm not a long-term fan, I'm, I'm new to this game, but people talk about the original days when it was just a board game before even the internet and, and how dark it was and now it's just getting more accessible, which means less interesting. And 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 you see it. Uh, we're talking about 40K there, uh, Gorthman, who just came on. Gotherman. Um, yeah, and, and I know this is a fairly limited audience, so I want to spend a whole lot more time on it. But um, nevertheless, uh, it is an extremely consistent universe and like and like all of these big um ips like star wars or star trek now you've gotten something that's so big that and so many people have contributed to it that it gets to be it actually exceeds tolkien there's so many people contributing so much to the to the um mythology of it there's no way that one person or one company could ever sketch all this stuff in. But it's all consistent and, and, and it's wonderful. Now, when it comes time to do the colonies, I mentioned this once or twice briefly before, I would like to crowdsource a lot of the colonies. For example, we have all of these planets, we have all of these corporations. I can't do them all. I'd love to have, I'd love to have somebody Right. Here's the history of this particular corporation, and here's their logo and blah blah blah. The problem is legal ownership and stuff. But I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could basically sign a contract that said, "Look, I'm doing this for the fun of it, and I understand that this becomes the property of the production company, and either I get compensated or I don't, or whatever. Um, or at least credit, maybe. Not. Who knows? But um, but the, the this is the point. There's a potential for real heartbreak in here because while I would love, if you set up a, a, an IP, intellectual property, that's clear enough, you know what it is. Uh, you, know what Star, you know what Star Wars' visual look is. And you know, you, you know about the Jedi and you know about the Sith and you know about the kind of beat up universe. Star Trek, on the other hand, has its entirely other different um, uh, look and, and ethos and, and value set and so on. Um, so if you, can, if you can get something that's got enough of a definition around it, then people can start filling it in along the lines of the, of the main story. But the reason I said there's real potential for heartache is 
ultimately it's got to go through the filter and um and the filter in, in that case would be me uh we have a discord server where you can bat these ideas around uh, so my feeling is that I would probably approve just about all of it, but there might be things that I just said, no, I'm sorry, I just can't, just not, can't do that. I don't want to do that. Um, but it's a, it's a fun way to go. And, and frankly, it's, it's just really fun. I mean, if you, I've got 30 solar systems, seven or eight planets in each one of these, generally four or five moons around all of those, I can name them. And I'm happy to name them because I've got a pretty good word generator, and I like building the systems out in Space Engine. Um, but you know, you've got an entire planet here. Somebody needs to name it. If you could have a map of it, and and somebody said this is the Bay of this, and this is the something or other peninsula, that kind of Chrome really helps helps the story along. Uh, Jim Samples, uh, Bill, we've seen all seen these movies where someone being blackmailed or asked to secretly agree to something is told to mention some phrase or special word on air or in the paper, or maybe even show something, which immediately brought to my mind Baby Ray's sweet, sweet Baby Ray's. It's the only thing that makes sense, and the only thing MZ left out was the obvious wink wink on air when saying sweet baby rays far too many times. Jim, um, we've been we've been conversing for quite a long time now. I haven't got the slightest idea what you're talking about at all. Honestly, I don't have a clue. I don't know what MZ is, and I don't know what sweet, sweet baby rays are. I've never heard it before. Sorry about that. Uh, that's a, at least a, a, a quick answer. Um, oh, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm afraid that the sweet baby raises the reference to Zuckerberg putting barbecue sauce on his bookshelf. <sighs> okay, so everybody's telling me that it's a, a barbecue sauce, presumably... Zuckerberg talks about it a lot. Is it a virtual barbecue sauce that he has in, in Meta where I can go and get sweet, sweet baby rays? Or is it a real world thing? Um, <laughs> Tim Morris says he wants to turn us into barbecue sauce. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would have thought that was a bad idea. So it's, is, it, is it real? That's a real barbecue sauce, actually pretty good. Okay, here's what I think this is. The reason that I think he repeats Baby Ray so many times, I think it's very much like Hillary Clinton coming out on stage and pointing to her, pointing to her friends. I think it's a I think it's a tick. Not a tick. I think it's a uh I think it's a a, a a desperate attempt to connect to humanity. In other words, he's heard of something called Baby Ray's sauce in the real world. And maybe he's tried it, and maybe he likes it. But he knows it's got kind of an earthy ring to it. Yeah, so C.P. Tomes gets it exactly right. It's the robot trying to be human. Look at me. Isn't wasn't it? Hillary Clinton said that, you know? She was doing an interview with this black radio station on video. And they said, well, what do you like to eat? And she goes, well, I don't go anywhere without a, without a bottle of hot sauce in my bag. Really, Hillary. 
And all these adoring people are going, oh, wow, you're, 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 you're down like us. Huh? Black people like hot sauce. Yep, I don't go anywhere without hot sauce in my bag. That's what she said. I saw her say it. My response would have been, can I see it? Mrs. Clinton, could I, could I see the, the, you know, the bottle of hot sauce that you have in your bag? Could I have, just have a quick look at it? Just to see what kind it is so I can buy the kind like you have? It is Zuckerberg's way of trying to sound human on a, on, on a level. And, and the more he uses it, the more you can learn about how disconnected he actually is. In other words, he is so far into the reptile spectrum that any kind of thing that he, he doesn't have a human connection to it. He doesn't, he just thinks it works with people. So it's kind of his, it's kind of his way of saying, I'm not a, I'm not a reptile. I, I, I like sweet baby Ray sauce. Yes, sir. I, I love sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce. In fact, just yesterday I was coating my barbecue with sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce, but sweet baby Ray's is the best barbecue sauce of the world. I think everybody knows that. I think we could all agree together. You know, that sweet baby Ray's is really, really, really what it comes down to. Uh, and, and it's like it's like a lifeline that somebody threw him. I have not heard of it, and, and everybody's saying it's very delicious. So we'll see. Spencer uh, R. Rackley the fourth. Well, now, well, well, sir. Well done, sir. I'll call you sir. Um, Asked a question that many people have asked in the live comment section. I have not seen the uh, epic wreck battle between Elon and Zuckerberg. I don't think, uh, but I'll have a look at it. Um, but uh, Spencer R. Rackley the fourth says, "What happened to the lip surgery? Uh, the uh, the stay at the um, at the Wuhan Weight Loss Center uh, interrupted that scheduled surgery. Got pushed back. Got pushed back to I want to say early January, and um, and I decided that I didn't want to do it in early January. I was not feeling good, and I'm feeling much better now. It has been uh, rescheduled for." February 28th, February 28th. Um, so that's when we'll have the uh, Name the Crater uh, competition. Uh, and um, and uh, we're, uh, here, I'll have, a, I'll have a, uh, a fairly big hole here. After they did the biopsy, a lot of it went away didn't really go away. I just be nice to think it went away. All right. Uh, Dave Olson, top fan. And, and then I think by God, if, if I'm looking correctly, I think we got them all. Wow. All right. then. Yes. Let's just say that we got them all. At least we covered everybody. Maybe I didn't get, um, all of them. Um, oh, John Pershing wants to know when is Natasha's rescheduled citizenship test? She's already taken the citizenship test and passed it. And I was looking forward to making a big announcement about it, but there is one additional piece of document documentation that they need. So she aced the test. She got six out of six. She, uh, she was scoring 100. I mean, I, I asked her all 100 questions. She was getting them all consistently. Uh, 
consistently. Um, so she sailed through the test. And, and the, the person administering the test was nice as could be. Um, there is one or two records that we thought we had covered, but they wanted to see some more. So I was extremely disappointed to see her come out of there without the citizenship certificate, without being a citizen. I thought, oh my God, what happened? And it took me 10 minutes to realize that she actually not only passed the test, but basically aced it. She doesn't have to take the test again. But all I saw was this kind of dejected look and this, and, and, and you know, what happened to, hooray, we're a citizen. So I'm, I'm answering that honestly. She, so basically what happened is um, you got, uh, we, we, we took something awesome and it got split into two pieces. Um, uh, where is it? Bob Knife says, I didn't get to your question. Where is it, Bob? Is it in, is it in Facebook? Um, anyway, let me just real quick, I'll do the, um, I'll do the Dave Olson question. As you may expect, I stand in solidarity with my fellow road warriors in Ottawa, as well as those who are organizing a freedom convoy to Washington. Will this be a successful push for freedom like the original solidarity movement in the 1980s, or will it fizzle like the Tea Party? Uh, I think we covered that one already. I don't think it's going to fizzle. And um, and I don't think the Tea Party really fizzled either. I just, I think it just, um, I can't, I can't tell what it did. It doesn't feel like it, it, I mean, obviously it's not what it used to be. Maybe it fizzled. Yeah, Mr. Tomes doesn't think it fizzled either. I think it just got embedded, you know? It's just something that, that we just kind of learned how to do. Um, all right, I'm looking for you. Where where are you here? Um, the question that I missed. I don't want to miss any questions today. I want happy campers. Happy campers. Uh, Bob, uh, can you tell me where it was? Was it in Facebook? I'll, um, and, and was it under your name? Uh, I shall refresh the page. So. Um, oh, 11 more comments. Looks like there may be another one here. Let's have a look. Jason covered, Joseph K. Eduardo covered, Charles Tomes. Here's one I didn't see. David Crean, Dave Olson, Dave Olson. Okay. Um, Skip member question. Yeah, I skipped some member questions because I because I did um, I tried to get everybody. I'll go back and do those. Here's the one I missed from Charles Tomes. If you had a 10.5 inch barrel AR-15 with an SB Tactical SBA3 brace, would it go over the side of the uh, canoe or would you put it put a 16 inch barrel and a normal stock on this coming in August when the AFT turns all AR pistols? into NFA short barrel rifles. Yes. No. Um, I, I, I don't know. Bob, where is it? Is it in, is it in Facebook or is it in, in, um, in both, under your name? All right. We're going to get this, so help me. Now, maybe I'm looking at best comments or something. It was weird the way they filter these things. Most relevant. 
all comments. Hang on now. There's probably a bunch that I missed here. All right. Hang on. Hang on. I was... Samples. Eric Blake. Blake. Spencer Rackley. Uh, was that it? Let's go back to BillWhittle.com because uh, we don't want to have anybody upset about that either. Uh, happy, 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 happy anniversary. Where is, uh, where'd that go? Here they are. Uh, yeah, no one. Henry Lumley. Henry Lumley. Henry Lumley. Brother Bob. Henry Lumley, Scott Ott, Marisha Dark, David Olson, Marisha Dark, Eduardo Henrique, David Lumley. That's what I see in this patch. Let's see if there's one from the previous one. Uh, thoughts on the Canadian uh, truckers? Um, well, I kind of started with that. I think uh, we talked an, an awful lot about convoy and 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 how um, I think it is a a real, real. I think it's it's the it's the first wave of of a of a, a big incoming wave. That's how I felt about it earlier today. I mentioned when I got here, I was out, I was in the Pacific within three hours of landing in L.A. Um, and I'm not a surfer. I've done a little bit of body surfing and boogie boogie boarding, but I spent I spent a you know a significant number of hours out in the waves. And if you've ever done that, first of all, you're at water level, so it's hard to see any distance. But but if you've done a little bit of surfing, you know, you can see like this set starting to come in, and and you can. You can start to read it like it's definitely not number one. It might be two and it might be three and probably not four. You see these things building and um, and you can just kind of see this thing taking shape. It's like, let, let one go. I'm going to be ready for two, but I think it's three. I'm pretty sure it's not four. And that's... Um, that's... Uh, what it feels like. It feels like I can feel these waves starting to come in. All right, so here's a, I uh, just got a, um, a, bit, a bit of political analysis. Seven question about channels, so let's do that. Just before Scott, political attention, here it is. Henry Lumley. Well, now I'm able, using my advanced powers of logic and, and deductive and inductive reasoning, I'm able to put together that. Charles Lumley may in fact be political animal, animal 87. All right, so let's see. Channel suggestion. Henry Lumley, by the way, uh, political animal 87, what you've done with the comment forum section is absolutely amazing. And I am glad to be able to thank you for it publicly in front of uh, the entire gang. Uh, I can't tell you how much it means to me and all of uh, your your um, 
your you know instructions on, on on what to do it's just absolutely epic and and uh i am very very grateful for it and it's been i've been feeling that way for a long time so thank you um all right here we go uh hey bill i think you need to put together a solid ad read for membership to the website i know that we've all seen sponsored ad reads on our favorite channels for example on several occasions critical drinker has paused to say that today's video is sponsored by me and goes on to do an ad read for his own novels you may consider doing something similar. I'm not talking about the raid on DNC headquarters animation. Is that something altogether different? I'm saying the regular appeal to membership, which is the main product you are selling and is the main funding source for your videos, might need some work. That's absolutely sure. I think you should consider cutting four different ad reads, one for each host, so that an episode, so that for an episode of Right Angle, do your intro and set up the topic. Ask the first question to whoever you choose. Then give your feedback to that response and say, and now before we go on, here's a word from our sponsor. Play the ad read, come back, and then go on with your uh, question for the next host. We as your paying members have no issue with you putting out a little more self-promotion. Please consider this suggestion. Well done. Also, you discussed doing an additional night. Could I ask that you set up a member's question night with a rotating host so that we can ask questions of Scott, Steve, Zoe, and yourself? This might be interesting and something to consider. Well... That's a bunch of grand ideas. Um, in fact, it, it, it immediately makes me want to do a Johnny Carson. And, uh, and I'll just do every third stretch for lunch and have my guest host come in and, and do all those other things. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of promotion that needs to be done. I really do. Um, I'm, I'm, now I'm working full, full tilt to get the, uh, the animation stuff ready to sell that to the people. I, like I said, I got to go downstream and pick a couple scenes to give people a sense of what what the rest of it would look like. Um, and then after that, I don't know. Uh, it's just not enough time for me, really. Um, and uh, I might be doing I might be doing Friday night show with Doomcock tomorrow. Um, Fiery Waco says I bet Joe Joe Rogan might like to interview. I'll tell you what, um, that would be the the home run of home runs. Yeah, and he said it shouldn't be called the stretch for lunch if I'm not here. I kind of like that. I kind of agree. Um, all right. So, yes, Henry, I will think about that. And, and um, a marketing, we not only need a marketing boost, we need, we need marketing professionals and sales professionals and all those other things. All right. Ten to nine. Um, I believe I'm going to head home. Uh I'm going to come in tomorrow. I've got an interview in the morning, and then I'm going to knock out the convoy thing. And then, um, then I'll be able to face people again. I, um, I find myself just a, not, not gun-shy exactly. It's hard for me to sit down uh, in moving back to America again. I feel like I'm overthinking them, you know? It's kind of like, i got to make this great now. Um, so... Anyway, we'll see. All right. Well, that was a, a, a solid effort at uh, at wood chipping. Um, and other stuff, too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that'll do it. As always, uh, brought, po uh, brought to you by and, and uh, made possible through the generous uh, gifts and donations of the members at BillWhittle.com, to whom we are perpetually uh, grateful and uh, and for those people that aren't members are uh, 
conversely, as, 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 our, as we're filled with love and gratitude for our members, uh, we all here have nothing but hatred, scorn, derision, and, and contempt for those of you that aren't members, and, and we curse you and, um, and, and, and say horrible, demeaning things on a, on a daily basis around here. So, you know, pick your, pick your team. Uh, all right, kids, uh, fun talking to you. Uh, I expect I will see you here on next Thursday, full lip intact still. And um, after that, uh, we'll see. All right. We'll see you next time.